The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Yo, 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 what up? This is Rocky Asuka Romero of Chaos, and you are listening to Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcast, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcast, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get-go, boy Yeah, from Tampa Bay to the Tokyo Dome This is Keeping It Strong Style With your hosts, Jeremy Donovan And the young boy, Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcasts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy, Josh Smith on today's show, we'll discuss Battle in the Valley, the first two nights of Best of the Super Juniors, the first night of World Tag League, answer your questions, and cover all latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network, or keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating interview. You can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, ProWrestlingTees.com slash Social Suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting SocialSuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. Young boy, how you doing, man? I'm all right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just chilling, you know, getting ready to talk about some... Uh... New Japan pro wrestling. Um, you yeah. know, we got a lot of love out here in these streets. You know what I'm saying? We do. And I just realized that I cut one thing from our intro. Of course, this episode is brought to you by the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and share playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit NJPWEXT.us today for details. I knew something was off. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, uh, I was in the middle of, you know, talking about us. <laughs> and then you got to talk about them. What's going on? Oh, yeah, Bro, yeah. Don't, don't ever let Danny's segment interrupt <laughs> my words ever again. Shout out to Danny and EXT. Download that. But yeah, man, we, we are getting a, a lot of love out here <laughs> in, in the streets. Yeah, you know, we got to let them know. <laughs> yeah, man, very, very uh, interesting uh, Reddit thread going on. You know, people asking for uh, podcast recommendations. <laughs> well, you know, they say... You gotta fake it till you make it, but I feel like we never had to fake it. We made it day one. You know, we <laughs> we got hot, we stayed hot, we is hot. We out here, you know, lighting shit up, and not in a bad way, not in a dumpster fire way, but like how they say, you know, them boys is white hot. That's how we are, and uh, <laughs> we've been staying that way, you know, ever since. You know, New Japan might be down, but keeping the strong styles at all time high. That's you right. Know? Always on top. Always on top, always ahead. (laughs) (laughs) 
dude, I remember like when we first started this show and like I would be like sitting waiting for podcast recommendation threads to pop up in New Japan Reddit so I could like jump on there and like drop our links to everything. And like now those threads come up, I might see them, I might not. And there'll just be a bunch of people in there like keeping a strong style, keeping a strong style, keeping a strong style. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. There, there were times, guys, where we had to duke the stats. If you know what I'm saying? We we jump into uh, some of our – and in case you guys don't know what we're talking about, there was a Reddit thread recently in the New Japan community that basically just asked for pro podcast recommendations, and you guys showed us a lot of support, which is cool. Um, but, yeah, when we used to see those types of uh, questions pop up in there, we jump, like, in our group and be like, yo, can you guys uh, recommend us? <laughs> <laughs> We're talking years and years and years ago, you know. We're coming up on what, like four years of this shit? Like uh, five? Is it four? Four? Uh, yeah. yeah I, don't know. In, I gotta uh, do I got I need to do a better job connecting with the listeners because you know, I haven't stayed up on, on the Reddit. I know we're in the community, I know we uh you know respond to stuff, but like, you know, you're better at that stuff than I am. But I didn't even know that that thread existed until we got a listener question that that kind of mentioned, you know, something comical that was mentioned in the thread, but uh you know, thank you guys for your support. You yeah. know, send us a red circle donation. <laughs> you know, I want to give a shout out. So, Reddit users: Puro Poppy, Templar two three five, Senor Sombrero three K, Viking Pain, Yasmin, Nine Tails, Kurtz nineteen eighty seven, Raising Falcons, The Dark Soldier, and Modus Magnum. Shout out to all you guys who were in there. Uh, you know, putting us over and uh, recommending keeping it strong style. Like, like you mentioned, uh, Reddit user Moses Magnum, he uh, pointed out a, a comment from uh, Templar325. Uh, you know, they were, like, kind of singing the, the Keeping a Strong Style uh, uh, theme song. And then uh, he put out, uh, he said, uh, coming here to job out and bury all the frogs. Yeah, bro, it's frauds. <laughs> <laughs> coming here to job out and bury all the frogs. <laughs> <laughs> No, okay, uh, confession time. When um, the show first started, you know, uh, Rich produced that song for us. It slapped so hard. Uh, you know, we don't we don't mention that enough on the show, just how, you know, strong that intro song actually yeah, is. Yeah, that, that's strong. Dude, I'll play that song to people and be like, wow, that's a professional intro. That's fire. I'm like, damn right it is. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, bro, I didn't know what the fuck he was saying in the beginning, like, when I first heard it. <laughs> I kind of thought it said frogs too, but I was like, there's no way that's what it says. <laughs> and then I didn't really put any thought into it. And I just went a long time just like not knowing that portion of the lyrics. But that's kind of my MO. Like if I listen to a song, I'll try to memorize it. But if I don't learn the words, I'll just like not know the words and just continue on with my life. And, you know, when shit comes up. Come in here to job out and I'll just move, mumble, mumble rap. <laughs> yeah, I'll just mumble this shit. I don't know what he. I don't know what he said. He said something. Oh, you know? But yeah. it's frauds. F R A U D S. Yeah. Shout out to our man Rich at Rich Loud Thirty Two on Twitter. Uh, killing it with the beats and the music. Killing it over at One Nation Radio. They drop here on the network every uh, Monday, sometimes uh, Tuesdays. So yeah, shout out to him. Yeah, but uh, it was funny when he. Uh, uh, commented on it. He's like, uh, I think it was Templar. He's like, I know that it's frauds, but I like to imagine that this is a podcast where they talk about, you know, Japanese pro wrestling and then go bury frogs, which is kind of, you know, 
interesting visual. <laughs> oh man. Well, we'll talk about a lot Bro, of interesting who, visuals. Who are the fucking who are the frauds that we bury? You know, anybody out here that's coming out and, and you know, trying to cap talking that talking that fuck shit. <laughs> you know, we, we tell the truth on this on this podcast. Yeah, that's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but let's uh, jump into some New Japan. That's that's what the people love us because we we, t- we talk about the product. And we get right into the action here. So let let's start. You, you ever hear the the official NJPW North American podcast theme song? I, I honestly I don't remember what it was. Oh, bro, it's bad. It's like. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, this is Chris Charlton. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I don't think they've done I don't think they've done a podcast in like two years. Yeah, I'm yeah. pretty sure like one of the last ones they did like had fucking like uh Marty Scurll on it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that feed's dead, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like these these motherfuckers need to pay us, bro. <laughs> Cut the check. That's that uh Obari money. But yeah, let's talk about some uh, New Japan stuff. First, we've got to talk about our good friend. Rocky Romero, he uh, faced off against the American Dragon Brian Danielson last week on Dynamite. Did you get a chance to see this uh, matchup, young boy? Oh, of course. It was on Dynamite. I watched Dynamite religiously. That's <laughs> actually become my number one promotion now. This is my side shit, you know, at this point. <laughs> yeah, I love Hangman Adam Page. <laughs> Hangman Pagey. Hangman, Hungman Pagey. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, uh, yeah, I did see this. I was very excited for it, and uh, it did not disappoint. Um, you know, Rocky is just awesome, but like he's kind of been all over the world, all over, especially I guess North America this past year. You know, yeah. and he's been one of the few, uh, you know, kind of like new japan proper talents that has really branched out and done a lot of independent work a lot of you know um work in different companies and sometimes and i'm not saying he ever slacks that's not really the case but sometimes he has like your house show style match and then sometimes he pulls out the big guns and like really really like you know has a match and he's done that a few times this year with like fred yehi in um ROH, he had a really fantastic match in NEW with Will Ospreay this year. But I think there's a good chance this AEW match with Danielson might potentially top those outings. So it's always really awesome when you get to see him kind of like go out there and really put in some serious work like that, you know? Yeah, dude, he looked awesome. I think, yeah, Rocky's just definitely one of those underrated guys, and he always can bust out one of these gems. You know, you think back like 2019, Best Super Juniors against ELP. What an awesome match that was. Uh, you know, sometimes even some of the mega coaches matches recently. Uh, even the match him and ELP had on Strong this past year was like kind of underrated a little bit. Yeah. So, yeah, Rocky yeah, is super awesome. Uh, another match that comes to mind um, the MLW match he had uh, during the Opera Cup late last year. That's still kind of in our grading period. Uh, it was him and Tom Lawler, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, they really went out there. They had an awesome match, too. So, I mean, he's gone out there and kind of done this a few times this year. Uh, you know, not in New Japan, which is really cool. But, you know, this Danielson match, we talked to him, you know, a few months back on the 200th episode. And during that interview, he talked about their time training together, 
you know, how they came up together in the dojo, you know, that North American uh, best super juniors uh, finals match they had with one another. And it was kind of cool to just see things come full circle and see like a resurgent Brian Danielson face off with, you know, um, Rocky sort of in the state where he's at with the company and his position. And yeah, they just went out there. They tore the house down, like got this is awesome chance, you know, tore it up on TV. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing them, you know, lock up again sometime down the road too. Yeah, and it was funny, like, in that interview, we were, we were talking about that uh, best of the American Super Junior Finals. He was like, oh, crap, I can't believe there's actually footage of that. He was, like, so excited, and so it's so crazy that it's a few weeks later, he's actually wrestling Brian again on Dynamite. Yeah, yeah, really, really cool, but I, I definitely enjoyed it. Um, you know, at this point, you know, uh, and we're not going to deep dive into the subjects. We've talked about it ad nauseum in previous episodes, but, you know, there's we always get questions, and um, you know, considerations about the Forbidden Door, AEW, New Japan, the partnership, yada, yada. And who knows what it is. But right now, even just getting the occasional, you know, match between, you know, one contracted guy versus another here and there, it's been kind of refreshing and cool just to kind of see that periodically, you know? Yeah, and it definitely seems like, you know, the doors are opening even more. So before Dynamite, there was a uh, segment on Twitter where Rocky invited the best friends, uh, Trent, Chucky, Orange Cassidy, Chris Statlander, and Wheeler, Utah, to join Chaos. And then that's always building up to this feud that uh, the best friends have been having with the Hardy family office. And at the pay-per-view, AEW Full Gear this weekend, you know, Orange Cassidy said he's going to bring in one of his new dogs, and it's official Orange Cassidy will be teaming up with Tomohiro Ishii, making his AEW debut this Wednesday on Dynamite. They will face Big Butch, the Butcher, and the Blade. We got Big Tome and Big Butch in the same <laughs> match. I'm here for it, you know? Yeah, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be a never match when those guys are in there. Now, you know, um, speaking of the matchup, you know, there's probably some people looking at this being like Tomohiro Ishii teaming up with Orange Cassidy. You know, it seems like an odd pairing. But trust me, this man Ishii, he's no stranger to strange tag team partners. You know, this man has spent many a World Tag League with Toriano, so I think he'll be just fine. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like a glove. I was making jokes in um, one of our group chats where I basically was like, I like how much you want to bet that literally Tomohiro Ishii, all he knows is he's coming in to work for an American company but really has no concept of what AEW is at all. Like, <laughs> and I say this because I remember there was an interview not too long ago where they asked him about WWE and he was like, I was a champion there. Right. And they were like, no, you've never wrestled for AEW. He's like, where was I a champion? I was in America. And they're like, Oh, you were in ring of honor. He's like, Oh yeah, I was a champion there. Well, what's the difference? Yeah, right. <laughs> this man literally does not like, and I, I, like literally, I don't think he knows that The Rock is a worker. Like he knows who Dwayne Johnson is from like the Fast movies over in Japan. Like he's like, God damn, pal! Like that kid. Look at this build. If he was just a couple years younger, he could really do some damage in this business. <laughs> yeah. Kicking ass, taking names. Yeah, like we uh, learned from our interview and in, uh, when we were at the press conference at G One Twenty Nine Dallas, Ishi just loves to smash. He doesn't care about anything else. He just wants to go in that ring and just you know, like some punishment out. Yeah, he's gonna be like. All right, kid, what do you do? What's your moves? 
I put my hands in my pocket. All right, goddamn pal, that sounds fantastic. What do you do next? <laughs> it's like, I put glasses on. He's like, outstanding. What's next? Great. He's like, he's like I, I do rolls and dives with my hands in my pocket. Well, goddamn pal, let's go out there and kill it. <laughs> he's like, I'm t- I'll tell you what. He's like, that big butcher guy over there, I'm going to fucking drop him on his dome. That's what I'm going to do. He's like... He's like, I'm gonna put him up in the air and bring him down for the giant brain buster. I'm gonna pick him up. I'm gonna lay him down on his back. One, two, three, straight in the middle. We're gonna go home and have some celebratory Zimas. You guys got Zimas here? No, we don't. Well, we'll figure it out. <laughs> oh man. Well, we had a bunch of questions about uh, you know, Ishii coming into uh AEW and best friends being a part of Chaos. So first from Puro Poppy, he says with the best friends in Chaos partnership. Are there any other AEW New Japan factions that you think would make good pairings? And do you think having alliances between factions in different promotions is a good tool for booking cross-promotional things? For example, when best friends come to Japan, they can just jump in on the chaos storylines and matches. Uh, you know, uh, how do I address this whole thing? (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, okay, so best friends... They are popular, right? Pretty popular group. Yeah. You know, they, they they come out to Pixies. They come out to, uh, you know, a lot of fanfare from the audience. But I, I don't think that the company's really, you know, kind of honed in on what they're going to do with them long term. I mean, look at them. They're feuding with Hardy Family in, in a feud that nobody cares about. It's totally heatless, been going on and on, and no one knows where it's going. It's probably, I, I'm assuming it's just going to blow off on dynamite in a couple weeks, most likely, something like that. But uh, that being said, they're trying to, you know, and I don't, I, I've seen speculations of people being like, they're clearly building to a giant dream card between the two companies. And if it doesn't happen in the next year, I'll be shocked. That I don't feel that way at all. I have no reason to. I'm not saying that couldn't happen. It might. But I don't think for sure that sort of thing's happening. But I do think for sure the fact that they mentioned chaos so many times on TV and Okada's name, there's going to be some integration of Okada and chaos into some aspect of um, you know storylines with AEW. So that's kind of cool that they're – I think this benefits like the fans and audience by kind of exposing them to chaos, those who might not be as familiar and kind of aligning them with the popular group. And then in Japan, I mean, I don't know. There've been so many people that have been tied to quote unquote chaos over the years. I mean, I think Mikey Nichols is still a member. I think Colt Cabana is still a fucking member. If you really wanted to like, think about that, like how does, does his allegiances to, I don't actually. I don't, I don't think Colt was ever officially in, bro. He's as official as like the fucking Briscoes, <laughs> even if he's not actually in. Like, it, it's a dumpster fire. Like, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I feel like this is more beneficial for like your casual AEW fan, not so much like your diehard New Japan fans, because I don't think there's that much investment on the Japanese fan side into chaos, anyways. And I don't know that they're going to be like, so like, oh, fuck, they got Chucky T back. Oh, hell yeah. You know, (laughs) (laughs) like, I don't know. You know, it's it's cool. And I I 
to me, I just think it's it'll be like a short lived sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, and it, I, I don't think, know. I think the cool thing about it, and the cool thing about AEW in general, is that you know wrestling canon is um, AEW canon. Like things that happen across the wrestling world, like AEW will acknowledge. Obviously, we saw Earl, the first time Rocky came in AEW that they, they had Trent come in and um, do the the best friends reunion. And so it's kind of playing back, like we like or the Rapungi Vice reunion. Like people know, like all right, we got Rocky and Trent, and the diehard fans know that they were a team. They were Rapungi Vice, and they were in chaos. I know that Chucky and Trent were in chaos and World Tag League. And so I think it's just cool for like the diehard fan that watches everything. Like oh, it's a cool nod and get these guys an, an alliance here in uh, chaos. Uh, yes, that's true. I do think that's cool. Keep in mind though, it's not. Like, okay, for your WWE fan, that might seem like, man, you know, AEW is doing it different. And I I do admit they are. But, like, for a New Japan fan, it's not like New Japan has ever ignored kayfabe when it comes to outside storylines. I mean, we've seen storylines from ROH and CMLL and the Indies and Europe, you know, carry over plenty of times. So that's not necessarily, like, a unique situation. You know what I mean? Right. Um. But yeah, I just want to throw that out there. But I don't know. It's it's fine. Like I feel like this is not a big deal in any way to your New Japan fans. Uh, like people who are just solely New Japan fans, they don't care. For AEW fans, I think it's kind of cool because you're injecting foreign stars who are like outside, kind of like exciting. You know, s- similar deals like they've done with like Nagata and you know Kojima, people like that. So that that's kind of fun and interesting, but I don't think it's like a, you know, I don't know. It's the fucking best friends, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't know. I, I like I'm not one of those people that's like clamoring for Orange Cassidy to like lock it up in Cork and Hall. Like I don't give a fuck, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's something fun. I think it's a great way to just kind of tie things together and just kind of have a mention of New Japan on TNT. Sure. Yeah, and I think that that's the real benefit on the New Japan side is sort of the uh, just exposure to an outside audience, essentially, you know? Yeah. Uh, next question here from Muzza. He says, now that Statlander is an official member of Chaos, how many questions is Kiss going to get about if New Japan should get a women's division again? We're going to ignore him if we do. <laughs> Uh, Bro, we've we've done. Uh, I'm sure someone in the archive. I I know there's at least two very long, in depth conversations about that whole dilemma. I don't even feel like dredging over it ever again. But uh, th- the reality is, Chris Statlander can come in and wrestle the dudes. You know, China did it. Stat can do it too. You know, if she wants to go that way, you know. Have her wrestle, I don't know, Fale or some shit, you know. But uh, Power or she match. Be, yeah, or she could be a valet, which is probably what will happen if she does come to Japan. But, you know, the reality is they got a sister promotion. It's stardom. They're literally super hot right now. I, I don't know if stats worked for them before. I wouldn't be surprised if she has. And, you know, why not go work stardom? That's the top women's promotion probably in the world. Yeah, I don't think she has, but that'd be pretty cool to get her in there and just get her some more experience and exposure to that audience. Yeah, 
So next question here from EMJ Does PR says, I'm just thinking about Ishii making sweet violence on network television. How about you? I think that this man's going to show up and being like, ah, my old stomping grounds. Ring of honor. (laughs) Yeah, ring of honor. He's like, Jay Lethal's here. The Young Bucks are here. (laughs) Where's uh, where's Roddy? (laughs) I'd like to wrestle Roddy again. That was always really good. Oh, Roddy's not here. He's in WWE. Is this not WWE? <laughs> no. Man. All right. Well, you got, man, you guys have grown since the last time I was here. Look at this audience. Wow. Where's Delirious who's, at? Where's the, yeah, where's Delirious? <laughs> who's, who's got my TV title right now? I'd like to fight for that. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, Ishii on TV will be cool. Um, I will tell you, I bet you the majority of people will not really care about Tomohiro Ishii being there. I mean, I could be wrong about that. I was definitely wrong about the uh, reception Kojima got, but I just got this feeling that your average everyday wrestling fan doesn't really know Tomohiro Ishii like that. I don't know, man. The AEW fan base is a pretty, like, locked-in fan base, and even if they don't watch New Japan, they're not watching, you know, Best of Super Junior Night 10, like, they're... They didn't respond for Kenta. Uh, People in the building did. The rate, the rate, the ratings weren't great. I mean, and it was a, like limited capacity, like a full arena. Ishii walking in, like he's gonna be over huge, and they're they're gonna it's gonna be a big pop. I hope so. You know how those AEW hipster fans are, though. Like they they they'll hear a roar, like a rumbling of a roar, and then they'll do it too because they don't want to be like the ones who don't know, you know. But I, I don't know. We'll see. I'm I'm just I'm a little skeptical on that whole thing. I think that might be why they're kind of tying him to best friends for just that very fact, you know. Yeah, I think it's just more of just the the, the chaos play. You got Ishii here, house. You gonna? I mean, you can always do a random dream match. But I think it's a, a, a great way to integrate him. We'll see, but uh, it'll be cool, you know. Um, and I the thing is, like, I just rather them do something else with him, like. I don't really care about him teaming up with best friends. Like I'd rather watch him wrestle Danielson, you know? Right. Well, you know, it seems like he's going to be in the States at least for the rest of November. So we'll see what happens. He might pop up on uh, rampage. Maybe he'll be on dynamite next week. We'll, we'll see what happens. Never title defense. Yeah. He is the never champ, which we'll talk about here in a second. When we get to battle and Valley. yeah, he's a new never open weight champ could defend that title on dynamite. Um, who knows? They should have him uh, fight for the TNT title, and then he wins it. And then he takes that shit back to New Japan on some Fire Pro shit. And then, you know, they can't get the title back from him, but they can't take it off of him either because no one's man enough to come take it from <laughs> him. So then they have to start broadcasting, like, weekly shows from, like, Corkin with him defending against whoever they send over. Like, you know, people are going to be coming over to Japan trying to, like, take this belt off this man, you know? Yeah, he'd be like, ah, yes, I am ROH TV champion again. It's going to be weird when they, like, aren't on TNT anymore. Well, Rampage is still on going to be on TNT. Oh, see, shows you how much I watch this shit. <laughs> I, listen, I don't watch Rampage, bro. But you know why? Because Rampage is on Friday nights, and, like, this this show might be nerdy, but I got real shit going on on Fridays. Like, I'm not saying I'm watching wrestling. That's for losers. I mean, if, okay. if I'm home, which I'm not most of the time, I'll watch it. Uh, most of the time, it's a Saturday morning watch. I would watch it Saturday morning, but then I got to go track it down. The TNT app that is on our Fire Stick doesn't work for some fucking reason and hasn't for like four months. 
Otherwise, I'd catch the replays. But, like, I'm not staying home and watch, you know, Will Hobbs wrestle, like, CM Punk. It's not happening. <laughs> like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> so, I don't know. I don't know what to tell him. Uh, MJ PR second question. Any chance we get the LA Dojo boys, Carl, Clark, and Coughlin, booked on Dark or Elevation sometime soon? Maybe. Yeah, I don't see why not. We, we've had Rocky on there. We've had uh, Ren Narita on there. And we'll see the news. The Dojo boys are doing some traveling soon. So why not? You want to get these guys some more experience outside of the strong tapings and these uh, you know, big New Japan shows that they're doing in the U.S.? Get them on uh, Dynamite. Get them on Dark, Elevation, Rampage. Listen, we already had Narita on here. You know, they started with the best. It's only downhill from there. I, I don't know what to tell them at that point. You know, maybe we should just bring Narita back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no i'm just playing uh i would like to see yeah i mean i don't see why not you know coglin you know fredericks you know clark connors they're all really great so why not yeah maybe they maybe when they have their trios title tournament three of them can uh you know all come together yeah yeah that'd be pretty cool uh trio team what's what's the commercial i used to like geniochi kun yeah <laughs> yeah they can be like team geniochi kun and come in and like you know yeah. That'd be their gimmick and shit. Uh, last question on this topic from Reddit user Dom Homie 101. Thoughts on the man that's known as the Stone Face Pitbull, Tomohiro Ishii, making his debut in Conlan on this week's episode of AEW Dynamite. Is it possible that we may get two belt Tomo? Uh, well, I made a joke about him winning the TNT title, but I, I can't imagine any titles in AEW that he could win. Yeah, I don't think he is winning any titles. Uh, but yeah, like we said, excited to see him on Dynamite. I just hope this will open the door for you know some singles matches, a, a match of Danielson. Uh, who knows? You know, a match another match of Kenny. Who knows? Somebody you know a top top level guy match of Pac uh, Andrade. Like, well, who's got the Who's got the BT title? Um, two point He could beat them. <laughs> Steal the BT title. <laughs> Yeah, that that would be pretty funny. Uh, you know, uh, I think I've kind of shared my thoughts. I, I'm excited for it. I'm I'm excited to see him, but like, the thing is, like, I'm not that excited because I see Tomohiro Ishii wrestle all the time, right? And it's not like, I don't know, like, it, okay, it was kind of different with Nagata and Kojima because it's not like they're always in big spots. So seeing them come wrestle Mox in a big spot or Suzuki, that's really cool. But, like, Ishii kind of does wrestle in big spots a lot of the time, so it's not like we don't see that. And I guess it is cool that he's going to be in America, but it's not like he's in some dream match. It's just, you know, it's a throwaway tag. So it's fun, but uh, until they, like, line him up with some of the dudes that you just mentioned, I'm not that really, you know, concerned. Like, you know, it's not like destination viewing for me. Yeah. All right, well, let's uh, shift gears here. We've got to talk about all the New Japan shows that happened uh, this past weekend. we got to talk about all of them? <laughs> yeah, we do. And uh, we'll, we'll go in a chronological order here. So we'll start with night one of Best of the Super Junior 28. This happened uh, November 13th, first show that happened on Saturday the 13th. Uh, show opened up. We had uh, Oiwa taking on Yuto Nakashima Making his uh, return after his injury I mean he's been back for a little bit now But kind of his first kind of spotlight match here We got a 10 minute time limit draw Yeah uh, Enjoyable opening match We're going to kind of see some um, 
singles action between a lot of these young lions throughout this uh, super junior slash world tag league tour. And uh, it was great to see Yuto Nakashima back. Uh, I wouldn't say this match was anything that blew me away. I, I kind of think both Oiwa and Fujita have sort of um, settled into more of your traditional young lion sort of match styling. It's a lot less uh, physical and visceral as what we'd seen when they first initially made their debuts uh, in the company. But, um, you know, good match. Uh, the big story here is obviously Yuto Nakashima sort of their senior. He started in the dojo before both of them, but was sidelined due to uh, an arm injury earlier in the year when he was wrestling Yumura and hasn't been able to kind of come back since then. So you kind of saw Oiwa focus quite a bit on the arm of Yuto Nakashima here. They did wrestle to the time limit draw, but uh, Oiwa was, again, targeting that uh, arm, straight arm bars, and... You know, at, as the match ended, Nakashima was, you know, boiling with rage, but also, you know, really nursing an injured arm and kind of uh, trying to figure out what the puzzle is to keep his arm, you know, healthy and to uh, pick up a W in this uh, changing landscape of the Young Lions, that is. Yeah, so we got a, a little, like, a C block going on here with uh, Oiwa, Nakashima, and Fujita going through this uh, Super Junior and Tag League tour. But yeah, you pretty much nailed it there. Also, you got a big focus on... Yuto's his arm, that shoulder, and you know, Oiwa and Fujita are going to be targeting that uh, these uh, next couple nights throughout this tour. Yeah, so he's got to find a way to kind of accommodate and uh, make up for that deficit. Maybe you know, come up with a strategy that uh, works in his favor. But for the time being, you know, it seems to look as though he's strong enough to hold his own. But Oiwa and Fujita, they've already kind of caught up to him and might even be superior at this point. Right. Then we had, uh, oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> we had the opening uh, Super Junior matchup this evening. Our man Doki defeats Bushi 10 minutes and 53 seconds. Yeah, this was um, not only a good match, but a great opener and the first of many surprise decisions on this first night, which. Uh, isn't unlike Gato's booking, you know, um, very often on the first night of big tournaments like this, there can be a lot of upsets, but there was quite a few more than I was used to on this evening. And one thing that really stood out to me about this match in particular, short, you know, just under 11 minutes, but Doki and Bushi both employing a lot of the Lucha Libre, a lot of the dives and topes and outside Hurricane Ranas, some of the stuff that we have sort of been missing in the past year's um, Super Juniors. And so far out of these two nights, this is the only match that really has felt, you know, somewhat of a high-flying spectacle-style match so far. Yeah, both these guys were out here doing cool stuff. Uh, Bushi had a cool, uh, you know, diving Rana that he did. Uh, Doki was doing a ton of cool stuff as well. That Daybreak DT is so awesome. And... Both guys came out here looking fly, Bushi in the, the all-gold gear, uh, Doki busting out the purple. Um, great uh, back-and-forth high-pace opener here, and I, I popped. I was so surprised when Doki hit that suplex de la luna, dropped Bushi on the back of his head. One, two, three, Doki got the big win. Yeah, he uh, has the new gear like you mentioned, and I made a joke in the past how he's almost like one of those... Uh, characters like the thugs that you beat up in like um streets of rage well you notice how they'll they'll take that uh 
that graphic of that that guy and then as you progress through the levels they'll just change like the hair and like the jacket a little bit and it'll be the same character but with just a different name and a different like color scheme that's essentially what like doki's done here except he's not level one doki thug that you beat up he's like level six doki (laughs) he's a little his life bar is a little little further out you know and uh yeah he looked pretty good but uh i did not expect him to pick up the win here um i know that they've kind of focused some stories on him the past year and given him a little bit more work with but they're really progressing this guy and this was the first of what figures to potentially be several wins in this tournament and it was a huge surprise and I literally popped. This is like one of my biggest uh, reactions to a surprise win like that in New Japan this year. Like genuinely elated to see a guy like Doki win. And I mean, bro, 2019, people were talking so much shit about Doki. I literally feel like I was one of the very first people to really buy into him even as early as, you know, three years ago, basically. And uh, to kind of see where he's you know, gone from there. I'm, I'm just, I'm really impressed with his performance here. And uh, for me, I, I, I'm not saying this is for sure the best match of the night, but it, it wasn't that far off. It was a pretty good match. Yeah, dude, I, I popped huge for it. I really liked this match. And I like to say, I am a, a proud member of the Doki pipe gang. Oh, well, if you are a uh, card carrying member of the Doki pipe gang, then you might want to buy the Doki pipe that they are selling on Token Shop Global. <laughs> I think I might. Hey, whoever has me in, in the the Secret Santa, uh, <laughs> get get me the pipe. But what? But, <laughs> <laughs> but what the fuck is it? Is it like I saw it and I was like, is it a pipe? Is it like a like a pull up bar? You know, or is it? Like, what is it made out of? Is it a real pipe? Like, is it just a pipe that you, like, put up on the wall as, like, a decorative thing? Is I, thought, like I, thought a real... was, I thought it was an inflatable gimmick. Is it? I, I don't know. Uh, I'll have to look into it and see. Is it on uh, the U.S. Tokon Global? or is it No, I think it's the... only on the, the Japanese Tokon shop for right now. Okay, I'm going to look it up. We'll see. Well, while you're looking that up, we had a question from Reddit user PussyDestroyer83619. Says that this might be the most predictable best of super juniors yet. There's only one right winner. It's not even worth watching. So let's cut to the chase. Who do you see Doki beating to win best super <laughs> junior? And how will Doki win the junior belt come Wrestle Kingdom? Yo, uh, before we answer that, uh, I, I'm on Token Shop Global. Will Osprey has an online meet and greet today, 10 p.m. Eastern. He's going to be running up against our showtime. Man. Sorry, buddy. People listen to this show. I don't know what to tell you. Competing against us, man. <laughs> uh, what 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 did they ask? Uh, he asked, uh, How, "How's Doki gonna win?" Yeah, how's Doki gonna win? Who who's Doki gonna beat to win the Best Super Juniors, and how will he win the Junior Title at Wrestle Kingdom? You know, I would be like elated if that was the case, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm I, I'm not you know expecting it at all. Uh, you know, without the full schedule in front of me, I'll just say that he he beats Hiromu in, in the finals of the Super Juniors, and then he goes on to face Desperado, Night One, Wrestle Kingdom, get that man a Doki Choki, hit a Daybreak DT, Suplex De La Luna, and we'll have a new junior champ, Haponas Del Mal, Doki. Yeah, uh, that sounds good to me. Why not, you know? <laughs> 
Uh, oh, speaking of merch, do you guys want uh Oh, I found it. The Doki Mini Iron Pipe. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit, it is I think it is an inflatable. <laughs> it's made out of foam. <laughs> Bro, I want one of these so bad. <laughs> Just like the real thing, it is good to emulate the players and arrange them to make them a little look a little bent. That's funny. Oh man, it's made out of uh, urethane polyester. Okay. Okay, <laughs> nice. Uh, yo, did you see? Uh, you see me playing around with the idea of selling um, towels? Yeah, keeping a strong style towels. Yeah. What'd you think of that towel? It looked pretty good, right? Yeah, because we were talking over the weekend uh, at, at, when we were watching Full Gear. Like, you know, uh, somebody brought a One Nation radio sign to um, the pay-per-view and to Dynamite Rampage. And he's like, you know, we need some Keeping a Strong Style signs. But, you know, a lot of New Japan shows, you're not allowed to bring signs. So we need something. You, you can bring towels. So let's, let's get a kiss, uh, kiss towel going. Yeah, bro, we need a kiss towel. But, you know, it needs to be like one of those soccer towels. It can't, like the towel I was looking at, it's like a full-size beach towel. I don't think um, – well, I've seen people bring the Okada towel, so I think you can get away with it. But how hard would it be if we had like a keeping a strong style like soccer towel? Yeah. Yeah. That'd be dope. So you guys let us know if you want to buy one of those. We'll uh, we'll find a way. Yeah. But anyways, um, yeah, Doki. He's awesome. He's got merch. Two points. Moving on. <laughs> so next we had Yoshinobu Kanemaru defeating the Bone Soldier Taiji Shimori by countout five minutes and thirty seven seconds. Well, you know, um, a lot of people are probably not aware of this, but there's a long history between Kanemaru and Ishimori dating back to the Noah days, and for many years, Ishimori never even had any sort of win until literally very recently over Kanemaru. And oftentimes in Super Juniors, like Kanemaru, who's l- much lower in the pecking order than Ishimori, still beat this man. So, you know, but recently the tides have turned. Kanemaru's on the way down. Ishimori, multiple-time champion. You know, he's kind of on the way up. You would think, you know, Ishimori probably, like, be able to get this man out of here. Nah, nah, nah. <laughs> yeah, this man, Kanemaru, jump zone. Jumped this man as he was walking down in the ring. Yeah, he young boyed him. <laughs> He's like, hold this green boy. Hold this L. <laughs> you are still my young boy. Uh, but yeah, and speaking of young boys, he used a young lion. He threw a young lion at um, Ishimori to uh, help him get the count out win here. Yeah, there was actually a match with him and Tiger Mask a few years ago in Super Juniors where he did some of the same shenanigans and nobody liked it except for me. And I remember, like, I loved the match. And they were using Young Lions the entire match, like, just, like, throwing them into each other. So uh, it was kind of like a nice little throwback to that. But uh, I popped when Ishimori, like, you know, he thought he was going to be able to get back in. And he was the one who, like, pretty much initiated the outside contact and the dirty, you know, kind of cheating tactics. And it, you know, backfired on him. And he ate, ate a loss here. Kinemaru picks up two big points and uh, kind of gets his way out of there. Yeah, so kind of like, you know, two back-to-back upset losses here to start the show, and then I feel like the next match, kind of another upset where we had the funky weapon, Rizuke Gucci defeating the former IWGP junior tag, or junior champion and current one half of the IWGP junior tag team champs, Robbie Eagles. 16 minutes, 17 seconds. Yeah, and who knows what that might lead to. I mean, you know, Mega Coaches is, is always an option to maybe 
you know, be challengers for those titles. We've seen Taguchi team up with a uh, fellow Hantai member, uh, Master Watson in the past as well. So, you know, some options on the table. I don't know if that this will even have any junior title stakes, but, you know, it could. But uh, the good thing to see here was a motivated Taguchi. Um, you know, we've joked in the years past about big match Taguchi and, you know, him coming out here and really putting forth a solid effort. That seemed to kind of dissipate last year, aside from like maybe just the Hiromu match, which Hiromu was pretty much getting that out of everybody in the tournament last year. <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah, um, this is probably what most people traditionally would classify as the match of the night. Uh, him and Eagles went out there. They wrestled a really solid, you know, fundamental match. They both did a bit of high flying, mixed it up, a lot of near falls, false finish- finishes, reversals, and a big upset win, you know, spells for a great match. And 16 minutes, didn't overstate its welcome. And yeah, uh, Robbie Eagles, the former champion who just came off the belt, takes a loss to Taguchi in Super Junior. So, you know, really unpredictable. Yeah, man hits a Ada Dodon, and Taguchi gets the win. So the next matchup, we have Way to the Grandmaster, Master Wato, defeating the headbanger, El Phantasmo, 1352. Again, a night of upsets. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think very many people would have expected Wato to pick up the win here. We've talked about his... uh, sort of uh, improvement over this past calendar year as a performer. Uh, I got to tell you, though, I watched this. How did Watto beat him again? I don't even really remember at this point. Uh, So the finish of the match, Phantasmo hit the sudden death kick to the gut, and then he was going for a one-wing angel. But then uh, Watto slipped out of that, got a jackknife cover on Phantasmo to get the upset win. Hey, I knew it was something like kind of fluky like that. Like he 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 caught him in a pit, basically. Right. Yeah. yeah. Phantasmo being too cocky, you know, throwing B triggers, doing trying to do bullet club moves, trying to go for the the one wing angel, and got caught. Yeah. So it is what it is. But this kind of led you to think. I mean, you know, you're watching upset after upset after upset after upset. You're like, oh shit! Like this is, <laughs> you know. Uh, this is looking really good for uh, some of these other guys here later in the in, on the card. So it brings us to our next match, basically. Yeah, Hiromu Takahashi, the ticking time bomb, defeats Yo three minutes and fifty five seconds. That's right, three minutes and fifty five seconds got this man out of here real quick. Yeah, and that's not too surprising as far as. Um, the short match length. I know that that seems like it might be, but we periodically during super juniors, there's usually one or two quick finishes during the tournament that sort of come unexpected. So you never know when it might be, but when it does happen, of course you're surprised, but it's kind of built into the booking of the tournament. I mean, it'd be weird if a super juniors didn't have one of those. Yeah, but I feel like in the past, though, it was kind of like in the middle of the tournament, like one of those like random video on demand shows where like the guys don't want to work super hard, so you, you do this like kind of quick finish. Yeah, of course, and it does beg the question: Was there a purpose behind it aside from just you know the booker's preference? Maybe you know who knows? One of these guys needed you know that time to kind of rest, so give him a little bit easier match, something that ends quickly. Um, I mean, for the time that they're allotted, it wasn't like 
it didn't seem like either of them were sort of holding back. I mean, they didn't heat up and have like a furious pace, but you know, they're out there and they're wrestling They're, I mean, they both look fine to me, but who knows, maybe one of them could have been harboring an injury or, you know, needed a, you know, a little bit of a by night, that sort of thing. Yeah. I think it might be too, it also be a story of just like, yo, letting show get to his head and, you know, he's too focused on show and not really focused on the actual tournament. That could be a story element. Um, that's always a possibility. And like you mentioned, it is interesting. I mean, coming off the last big show, um, no pun intended, Yo had, you know, stormed the ring, new gear color, you know, attacked show. And so we're kind of gearing up for an eventual collision between those two former partners. But, you know, it's, it is funny to see where Yo is right now. I mean, this guy was, you know, really heating up when he made his return earlier in the year, you know, title challenges, everything like that. And at this point, I mean, get rolled up three minutes, 55 seconds. And the funny thing too, We've talked about this in the past. Yo is sort of the wacky roll-up guy. Right. That's kind of his gimmick. And, you know, uh, he was really trying to get Hiromu out of there. He's like, this pin, this pin, this pin, this pin. Yeah, he, went he, started, he started hot. He did, he did that plancha, like, right at the beginning of the match where Hiromu was, like, walking into the ring. He hit that plancha right at the beginning. And then from there, yeah, he was just like going, yeah, like you mentioned, going for all these roll-ups. Yeah, so and eventually, the funny thing too is Hiromu kept almost hitting Time Bomb 2 as well. So I was like, oh, these guys are just like blitzing each other. And then, um, yeah, it looked like Yo was going to get something. I don't know exactly what it was, but Hiromu was like, oh, you think I don't know some Yave? You think I don't know how to, you know, tie a bitch up and put him <laughs> on your shoulders for three seconds? Yeah. He's like, hold this. Yo was going for that direct drive, his new finisher that he'd been doing since he came back, like, like spinning, almost like a, the drill bit, uh, J.D. Drake's finisher. See, bro, I don't even know what J.D. Drake's finisher is. <laughs> and I knew I knew that Yo had a finisher, but, like, I don't even remember what it was. Like, now that you say the name, I remember the name, but I don't even, in my mind's eye, I can't even envision what that finisher looks like. That's how, like, you know insignificant yo's years really felt for me yeah (laughs) (laughs) um but i knew he was going for something like that and hiromu countered it locked this man up one two three got him out of there and uh yeah it was a little shocking three minutes 55 seconds but uh you know hiromu the bigger star it makes sense and you know we ball (laughs) and then the main event of the evening was show defeating the current junior champion, El Desperado, 25 minutes and 11 seconds. And this is where we get off the fun, happy, fun, exciting upsets of the night sort of train and move into a land that I like to call the house of torture. (laughs) And it's kind of surprising. Well, I guess not surprising, but it's like, I don't know, man. Here's my whole thing. I don't think Sho's the guy that should have gone heel, and I don't think Yo's the guy that should have been the babyface because look at where they are right now. Yo has no heat behind him as a babyface. He has no real um, momentum going for him where people are clamoring and they're behind him and they're you know, sympathizing and living and breathing with the guy. He's still a wacky roll-up guy who can't beat Hiromu. You know what I mean? Right. And then you got Sho who was thriving as a babyface who'd beaten former world champion Shingo Takagi 
in a match and, you know, was having banger after banger after banger. And they took that guy, the guy with the charisma, the enthusiasm and the fanfare and decided to put him in, you know, cheat fests with Dick Togo. Like, I don't know how they couldn't figure that they probably should have done the inverse of what they've done with these two guys. Well, uh, Togoism is poisoning the booking, and also we, we see the, the influence that Dick Togo has on the booking and all the reports that come out on a lot of the ideas that he has in mind and things he wants to do, especially when it comes to House of Torture. And yeah, we're, we're pretty much seeing uh, Togoism here in, in, this, in these main events with show. The ref bumps, the distractions, uh, show's getting a, a wrench now, and just uh, it's just... It's the same thing in evil matches we're getting now in show matches. Yeah, and one thing too, this match went 25 minutes. Most of the other matches got quite a bit of time. You notice we are in a, a season where there's six block matches for Super Juniors plus uh, a Young Lions match. So you're talking about a much longer show length with people getting more time. That might also account for why they kept the semi-main event short to allow this match to have a lot of time, but the thing is with Super Juniors and most of these big tournaments, even in a single block format, I'm used to the first night really setting the tone for everything and the main event delivering on a somewhat high level. And I didn't feel like this did that. I mean, Desperado definitely seemed like a fighting tweener champion, you know? And I understand, I'm not even complaining about the booking of having show go over on him. But what I am complaining about is just the pace, the style, the cheating... It's not just cheating, but it's like kind of not what I would call clever or crafty or exciting cheating. It's like the kind of shit that's like very much a slog. It's hard to get through. And you just think to yourself, God, am I going to have to watch a whole tournament of show doing this? And it really, I, bro, I, I, we're going to have to, we're watch, watching two tournaments where this is happening. We're getting it in yeah. the tag league with Evil and Udro, and we're getting it here in juniors with um, show. I didn't think of that. Um, well, because my attention on those World Tag League nights is much less so. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. So, I mean, it's just like, man, this kind of sucks. Plus, like, show is usually a highlight of the Super Juniors. Right. And I've, always, and I've always wondered what it would be like when he finally broke out and finally got a chance to, like, get pushed. And it's going to be this. And the, the whole point of heel heat generally is to draw the IRA fans so that you want to see baby faces get their comeuppance. But this makes me just much less invested in show and his trajectory and even watching his matches. So I'm like, uh, and you know that Desperado is coming out of this tournament as a champion and any loss he, you know, suffers could potentially have major implications for the three nights wrestle kingdom or, you know, what have you. So uh, I don't know what this, how this will play out going into the finals. I'm sure it will be one of those point total sort of um, tiebreaker sort of situations. Right. Man, like fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. And we, we've seen heels in Super Juniors before. Also, we see Despy and Kanemaru, like you mentioned. Like those guys do some clever ways to cheat. We've seen ELP, even like some of the cheating that he has done in previous Super Juniors has not been as egregious as we're seeing here with Show. It, let's be very clear here. I've been critical of VLP in the past, but I don't think my criticisms of him have ever really been about the antics. Right. I'm not as big a fan of the dick punching all the time, 
you know, that got a little old. Yeah. But for the most part, I think he is an exciting heel. My most of my complaints were about not being uh, adept at the New Japan Junior style and maybe some uh, perceived um, fundamental issues. But as time's gone on, he's really, in my opinion, improved. Or at least if he didn't, maybe he didn't even improve. Maybe he just chose to work better because at this point it feels like maybe the guy was holding back when he first came in. And aside from that, like he's a person who knows how to get heat being a heel. That's the thing. If we just didn't like heat, that'd be one thing. If this podcast was one where we're, we just buried all heels for their antics, but dude, how many times have we praised Jay White? How many times have we praised DLP? How many times have we praised heel Kenny Omega and heel AJ Styles? Young Bucks. In the Young Bucks and, you know, Minoru Suzuki and, you know, the Dangerous Techers and all sorts of people that cheat. It's this stuff that we don't like. <laughs> it sucks. And, uh, yeah, we got a question here. I don't even know if we need to expand on it. I think he's pretty much, we already said, but he's echoing our sentiments. He said, uh, Rambo and Slam Pick said, what are your thoughts on show becoming Evil Jr.? I expect so much more out of him. I find it way more of a letdown than when Evil does all kind of BS. Yeah, I mean, sums it up perfectly. We, we kind of went on it. Yeah, it absolutely sucks, and we have a whole tournament. We have two tournaments full of this bullcrap. Yeah, and the one thing I do agree with him, he said that it's in some ways more disappointing because it's like, could Evil deliver on a high level if he wanted to night after night? Sure. But I don't see the kind of aptitude for being a dynamic performer in evil the way I do a show. Show has time and time again been a highlight of these tournaments and of the junior division. And that's gone out the window. And it's like, fuck, you guys are really robbing us of good show matches? Like, that That sucks. <laughs> yeah. Well, that Dude, is... Like, at least this didn't happen with, like, Will Ospreay and, like, Jeff Cobb when they turned heel, you know? <laughs> right, yeah. That would have sucked. So, yeah. Well, let's move on here to the next show that happened on Saturday, and that would be New Japan Showdown, uh, New Japan Strong. This was the go-home show for Battle in the Valley. So, show opened up. We had Alex Zane making his uh, strong return since being released from NXT, Taking on a number, another uh, form, uh, former guy who just got released from WWE, Arya Davari defeated Davari in 10 minutes and 49 seconds. Uh, good little opening match here. Um, you know, nothing too crazy, uh, but yeah, be interesting to see how if they bring Davari back and kind of what kind of role both of these guys play in the future of Strong going forward. 205 Live, never die. <laughs> Uh, what were your thoughts on the Magic Carpet ride? Uh, racist or no? Because it's, you know, obviously he's of Middle Eastern descent. Like, you know, I don't... I mean, What are we thinking here? I think the thing is, like, that's it's his idea. Like, he's done that on the indies before, and now it's kind of his thing. So, I mean, if he's good with doing it, I mean, I really don't have any problems with it. I was just kind of joking. I don't have a problem with it, <laughs> but uh, I did kind of feel like it was out of place in the New Japan ring. Yeah, that was kind of weird, yeah. Like, all right. Or Orange Cassidy. <laughs> uh, next matchup, we had uh, the preview for the 10-man tag that was going to happen at Battle and Valley in the upcoming strong title match. We had Fred Rosser and our good friend Rocky Romero defeating the team, filthy team of Dane Lima and Tom Lawler. Fred Rosser getting a, a big upset win, pin over the champ Tom Lawler. 
Filthy Tom was not about that, very upset, attacks this man, and Team Filthy beats down Rocky and Fred, and they, they get the scissors out, and they cut this man's afro. Yeah, um, that was definitely racist. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nah, but, um, you know, one thing that I am going to be a little a little bit critical about, okay, um, I understand that with New Japan doing a weekly show but doing a monthly taping essentially or you know every three weeks or however they're doing it there's going to be some um limitations to the timing of everything especially when you have a big show coming up like um battle in the valley and like you mentioned this was the go home show but we didn't get to see this big go home angle which we'd heard about it and i'd heard people talk about it and seen pictures but you didn't get to see it until a couple hours before the show and it's running right up against a major pay-per-view in uh, full gear. It just kind of seemed like a wasted opportunity. I, I know it's not entirely their fault, but I'm like, I don't know. I just feel like that's the sort of detail they need to be thinking about because it was a great angle and it was a big deal because it was the first time anyone has pinned filthy Tom Lawler in new Japan ever. So, that was like a big deal, and that's kind of what caused the ire to come out and them to cut his hair. And that really should be building things up. And I, I understand that the match at um, Battle in the Valley isn't the blow off between them. We still got time to build to that, but it's sort of being over. The whole angle kind of is overshadowed by Battle in the Valley. And if all you watch is Battle in the Valley, you see him come out with a shaved head. It's like, do I need to even go back and watch it? I already know what happened. It's like, yeah, you should see it. It was awesome. In fact, the promo that he cut afterwards, I don't even know what he said, but he said so many bad words that they like just bleeped the whole thing out. Yeah, well, he was he like, saw, he's like, I, I don't want to go to L.A. I want to go to your house. I'm going to get the boys to tell me where you live. I'm going to come to your house. And then it like bleeped it after that. <laughs> and then I imagine he said something like, I'm going to lynch you or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you. I don't know. I, I don't know what the fuck he said, but it's something really offensive because like Rocky's face was like, oh, fuck. I don't think he's allowed to say all that. I think he, I think he was threatening murder. Yeah, like, dude, there's this one, um, <laughs> there's this, uh, back in the 80s, I used to watch the Crockett-Turner home video, you know, NWA videos. Like, we had a collection, and they would have previews for the other collections that you could, like, send away for and buy. And they had this one called The Danger Zone, and they had a, a, a promo of Dusty. And it's like one of my earliest memories of Dusty. He's like, I'm going to come over there and rip out your tonsils and shove them down your throat. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, this guy's going to rip someone's throat out and take their tonsils out and put them back down their throat. What the fuck? <laughs> so I imagine like he's, he threatened some sort of something like that. I don't know. But, um, yeah, I, I just think that that's something they need to be cognizant of when they're thinking of like their scheduling and the timing of everything, you know? Yeah. And, you know, for them, it was kind of a, a poor, like, circumstances just happened. Like, it wasn't their fault. Like, Full Gear was supposed to be the week before, so it was not supposed to be a pay-per-view competition. Um, so that hurt. And then also just moving strong on Saturdays when you know you're going to do pay-per-views on Saturdays kind of hurts as well. So overall, it's not a good mix. But, yeah, like you mentioned, Heat Angle, and it really got me hyped up into this, you know, Lawler roster feud. Yeah, um, and we'll talk about uh, roster you know, what he looked like at Battle in the Valley. But, you know, obviously they cut his hair here. He came out with a shaved head the next night um, or the next taping. But one of the grossest things, 
fucking uh, Tom Lawler put the hair in his mouth and was chewing. On he it. was. I, I was so disgusted, bro. I got a weak stomach for certain things, and like that was somewhere I was like, <laughs> 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 it's so gross. So then, uh, following that heated angle, we had a one-on-one matchup with the Switchblade Jay White. He defeated Freddie Yehai twelve minutes and forty-seven seconds. We randomly got a Tiger Hattori <laughs> joining the commentary team for that. And man, <laughs> let me tell you something right now: Tiger Hattori on the call with Matt. What's his name? Matt Morris or Matt? Matt Raywald, whatever name he's using. Yeah, I don't know what name he's using, but yeah. Uh, with the Drama King and Kozlov. And I will tell you right now, Tiger Hattori <laughs> was the best on the call <laughs> by far. He immediately increased the quality of the broadcast exponentially. Dude, the funny thing, like, I don't even feel like he was just like, like commentary. He's just like, he's just like, you know, just, like, he, like, he's just saying shit. Yeah. <laughs> like he's watching a show and he's talking to a friend. He's like, oh, this, this Freddie Yeha looks good. He's big. He's. <laughs> He's strong. <laughs> he's future. And then call yeah, he's a, he's a savage weight. He's all about this, you know, this savage style. He's like, oh, new style. I like. <laughs> <laughs> but um this was uh well one thing is I didn't I knew there was four matches, but you know, I'm used to um uh strong kind of just being like a one hour telecast has it been going longer lately since they start going live they have been going a little bit longer some shows have been having four matches okay because this one was like almost a two-hour show basically um maybe a little less than that, but i think it was like hour 40 something like that yeah um and this match got time you know just under 13 minutes but bro when i tell you freddie ahai came out there and had a match with jay white they maximized their minutes i thought this match ruled um i thought fred yehide kind of pushed jay white to wrestle in a different kind of style than he's used to and i thought jay white really shined because he's good everywhere but i really thought fred yehide shined there's some guys that come from wwe or the indies or elsewhere and they really have to acclimate to the new japan style quite a bit you know I don't think Freddie Ahai is one of those guys. In fact, I think he imposes his style of wrestling because he's that good on pretty much anyone he wrestles. And they kind of have to come up to his level, which is weird to say that. But like a world-class guy like Jay White was sort of having to work harder and come up to the level of Freddie Ahai is already at. And I'm not saying that Jay White isn't there, but, you know, Jay White takes nights off that sort of thing and right and bro. i think tenly we see jay eat people up sometimes or make yeah people work his style but like you mentioned yeah fred was on fire here killing with the suplexes uh story match he was working for that that koji clutch as one of his submission finishers he got that on several times on jay he kept going for it and the final time that he got it and jay was like getting close to the ropes and he dragged jay back out and then he started hammer fisting him in the face and they were not soft like i mean <laughs> obviously they didn't kill him but like like he was hitting him like this. I'm like, oh god! Like he's fucking. This yeah, man and then Jay's hand. Like he raised his hand like he was getting ready to tap. I was like, oh. Jay's selling of that moment was superb. I I knew he wasn't gonna lose, but man, he looked like he was gonna <laughs> lose. Yeah. And then he finally got to the ropes, and then you know caught this man in the Sister Abigail or Switchblade or whatever. To, Blade, Runner. The Blade, Blade Runner. Blade Runner. <laughs> yeah, got this man out of here, but uh. Man, 
you know, the funny Fred Yehi, he's got to be a contender next year for newcomer of the year because he's not on the list this year. We just didn't feel necessarily like he'd done as much as there's a lot of candidates this year. We didn't feel like he'd done quite as much as some of those other candidates had in a short time with the company, but man, he might be on the docket for next year. Um, Cause if I think that he's a guy that they should keep using, he's so good. Yeah. He's awesome. Uh, Post match, Jay White cut a promo talking about his U.S. of J tour, where he's fought names from Impact, AEW, and ROH. Before dismissing Fred, he then challenged anyone from any company, and then went on to talk about Ishii for Battle in the Valley. Right, and again, this is exactly what I'm talking about, and this is actually a little more applicable than what I had mentioned earlier. It's it's an angle setting up the show that's about to air in a couple hours. We, this is something you should be airing, you know, at least a week or two prior at minimum to the show. And so it's not like sure the full gear pay-per-view got moved, but at the, even if it hadn't, this was still going to air like an hour or two before the pay-per-view, you know what I mean? Like that's not enough time to have an angle like this really take effect. Right. Well, then we move to the big main event here with Minoru Suzuki defeating the Dirty Daddy Chris Dickinson 18 minutes and 57 seconds. Great, great match. Um, you know, very recently, the uh, matches from the most recent Bloodsport that involved New Japan talent became available on New Japan World. And so I was able to go and check out the match they had at Bloodsport recently, and it, it was awesome. But I got to tell you, I think I like this match, the rematch, even better. Man, they fucking killed it. <laughs> yeah, bro, this was, this was great. Like, the grappling, the striking, like, dude, um, Dickinson was, was chopping the crap out of this, man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, these guys are, you know, we talk about... Um, how Mox and Suzuki are sort of made for each other. And I don't want to say these guys are made for each other, but they pair so well. And Dickinson with all of his, uh, you know, just the way he pays homage and respect to, you know, Japanese wrestling of yesteryear and his knowledge of, you know, grappling. And then you combine that with Suzuki's and then just the characters that they've cultivated and the hype and the heat and the, the crowd interactions. And this match just really, really freaking ruled. And then, you know, suddenly Suzuki has him in that gotch. Boom, one, two, three. You know it's over. I'd love to see them wrestle again. Like these guys are awesome. Yeah, and I I went into this match unspoiled. I had no idea who was going to win. And you know, we've seen Suzuki drop a lot of matches here in the states. He's, he's won some too, but I just didn't know if they were going to put Dickinson over here. He's a top guy on strong, but yeah, they gave Suzuki the win here, and I thought there was a chance that Dickinson could have won, but yeah, then eventually he he fell to the gotch pile driver. Yeah. Um, and so that wraps up a very good episode of Strong with two matches at the top that I'd highly recommend, plus, you know, a really great angle, you know, at the bottom of the card, so, or second match. So uh, definitely one that I would recommend as far as an episode goes. Yeah. So next, let's talk about the third show that happened on Saturday, November 13th, A Battle in the Valley. And. Got some questions to start us off. We have to talk about this. So, uh, first question uh, from friend of the show, Dan Coffin: Why did they stream Battle in the Valley using Real Player? 
And then Rambo and Sam Pick says, I own bootleg wrestling tapes back in the 90s with better picture than Battle in the Valley stream on NJPW World. Has the company ever commented publicly on some of the production difficulties they seem to have abroad? I remember Super J Cup had similar issues last year. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it was Super J Cup last year. I think it was the Super J Cup from the year prior. The right. first one, Fantasmo right. one. With, with fans, yeah. That was really bad. Really bad. This, in a lot of ways, I think is worse, to be honest with you. Like, this was... When I say horrendous, I really mean horrendous. I mean, holy fucking shit balls was this <laughs> and i got to use french language like that to just kind of explain like when dan says it looked like they used real player to stream this i don't know how many of you are old enough to remember real player from like the early to mid night or not early but like the mid to late 90s it was a pixelated mess that is what this looked like it reminded me of when I used to play video games on the PlayStation 1 in 1995 and they would decide to like – because they had capabilities to actually play videos. And so you'd have a cutscene that wasn't like you know com- computer graphics but it was actually like, <laughs> like video. Right. But it would be all pixelated or like a Sega Saturn. That's what this looked like. It looked like it was playing on a fucking Sega Saturn in 1995. It was so – so so bro i thought the app was broken when i turned on the broadcast and then i tried and then it froze during the entrance of narita i think they've kind of gone back and fixed that and when you watch it now the freezing section has gone away but like not only was the video bad but it was shot bad the lighting was bad and the sound quality was abysmal and it's like dude first off you're the third largest company in the world maybe second you know you're supposed to be a major major league player you're making a a a play to go you know do work here in america right and You've done fantastic productions in the past. I know not all of this is in their control. A lot of it has to do with their partnership with Axis, which has since gone by the wayside. But, dude, they've done productions in America that surpassed any of their productions in Japan. Like, we used to get Ultra HD, like, like 4K level like quality <laughs> yeah. for some of these shows. And it was like, holy crap, how, why is this so good, you know? But um, that has gone away and like it's gone to like lower end mediocre. But this has got to be the worst production they've ever done. And it's like if you're going to spend all the money to bring all these stars and bring outside talent, you know, on a big San Jose show like this, you bring Kazushka Okada for the first time since like the G1 in Dallas. And they got dream matches essentially. It's just a mate. It's supposed to be a major, major, major card. And then it looks like that. that this is it's kind of unforgivable. And I don't, I know that the machine's going to keep rolling and people are going to forget about it, but it's like they're making a play to have a major show in the U S market, which is a market they desperately want to expand into. And then you have a show like this, that for the few people that may have potentially wanted to check it out, that didn't know new Japan. 
I guarantee they watched it. We're like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> yeah. And then I'm sure there are people who like me, if I will tell you this, Jeremy, if I didn't have to cover this show, keeping a strong style right now, I would not have watched this. It was, it took me like three days to get through this. I kept turning it off because I was so frustrated with it. And it actively brought down in my mind so much of what was good about the show, which was most of the show. But like, I don't even know if at the end of the year I could be like, this was a show of the year candidate because of how bad the production actually was. I'd rather watch one of those single fan cams they used to do back in the day with no commentary. At least that was clear. It never cleared up. It never, uh, and I don't know whose fault it is. I don't know if it's the production companies. I know David Marquez's name's been like linked to it. I don't know if the production was fine, but it has something to do with the servers and the way they upload to fight or fights involved, or I don't know. Someone, someone somewhere fucked up bad, real bad. Yeah, dude, this, this was absolutely awful. It felt like you know, watching like a bootleg pay-per-view in the nineties off a real player on, on a, a forum somewhere. The quality was just so bad, and I saw people complaining about it. And then I was like, uh, you know, maybe it was just a stream. Maybe it'll clear up." And like, I watched it, and it just, like you mentioned, it just never cleared up. Uh, I watched the Japanese commentary because uh, I didn't know when the English was going to get up, and I was not going to pay uh, twenty bucks for this. And so I watched the Japanese on World, and I thought the the audio and Japanese commentary sounded fine. But then the audio for everything else was pretty bad. The music, the the promo videos, the just. Well, I, I'll say this. I started to watch the Japanese and then I turned it off. The audio for the commentary, what what I think you mean is you can hear the commentary okay. Right. But, but it's not mixed in with anything else. So right. it just sounds like it's just you can hear their voices on top of the video instead of in it. Right, yeah. Which, I, which to me was like also like, holy crap! I can't, I can't watch this. I can't hear voices that are coming through so much better than the picture and the rest of the audio. Like to me, th- that's why I waited for the English because I was like, maybe at least the English will be better. And it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the sucky thing, man. It's like you look at this show, top to bottom. There's a lot of really good wrestling on the show. There's some cool angles to build towards. Wrestle Kingdom, and you know this is going to be a black eye on a show. When people talk about Battle in the Valley, they'll be like, "Oh yeah, that was that crappy production U.S. show." And people are not going to talk about the awesome Osprey and Arena match. You're not going to talk about Okada and, and Buddy Matthews, Yumora uh, and Alexander. They're going to talk about this, this awful production. And you know what? Right, rightly so. I mean, I understand that there's probably someone out there that was like, guys. The wrestling was good if you can just get past, you know, the production, then you probably would have enjoyed the show, you know? And to that, I say, dude, there's GCW and AAW and like literally like Tampa Bay Pro Wrestling, like the local indie here that's literally just a wrestling school promotion, have better productions than this. I don't understand. It's mind boggling to me. As to what went wrong. Right. I'm like, yeah, he mentioned, yeah, literally our local indie, Tampa Pro, like they put their stuff up on Fight and YouTube and have better quality than the third slash second <laughs> biggest wrestling promotion in the world. That's something that you and I talked about off air, and uh, now I'm reminded by it. We, we were like, bro, 
this seems like impossible to mess up. You and I could like literally, bro, if, if I took my iPad and my phone and you grabbed your phone and a tablet and we had, you know, like literally just those devices, we'd probably come up with a better production, at least video wise than what they had. And they looked like they had serious for real cameras. So I don't understand what happened here. And there's a part of me that thinks because the cameras look expensive and they ha- it looked like they had like a five camera production that it might not be the cameras or the quality of the people shooting necessarily, but have something to do with, um, and I'm not tech savvy, but like how you upload that video to whatever server or, you know, distribution outlet they are using to, you know, distribute the video. Right, like whatever. Something something with like the quality of the stream. Because we saw also like with Royal Quest as well. I feel like the, the cameras for Royal Quest look good and, the, and the, it came through crappy on that feed as well. Not like this though. There yeah. was problems and issues, but it was, you know, it, they, it was not like this. Right, yeah. <laughs> this was way, 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 way worse. Yeah. The other thing too is it, it was shot bad. Like they used a weird high angle on the top and then they had a, uh, another camera that they had one camera up on whatever the balcony was or the second story that would zoom in that actually had somewhat clear quality. But then the, the three cameras on the ringside were all shot really low and weird. And it, it just like, it just made for a bad experience. It really did. And I try to enjoy the show for what it was. I feel bad, but like, this is a black eye on the, U.S. expansion <laughs> yeah. of New Japan Pro Wrestling, and there's no way of getting around that. It, it absolutely is, and it, yeah, it actively detracted for me from my enjoyment of the show. Yeah, I mean, and they did this a few months ago. Resurgence, like I thought, Resur- Resurgence looked well on New Japan World and Fight TV. So I don't, I don't get what happened. What was the difference? Like maybe a different crew, a different, different streaming thing. I, I don't get it. I've asked the same question in my head. I don't know. We, I don't know that you and I are going to find the answer to that, but yes. I, I thought there were some production issues with Resurgence, but for the most part, a good production. So, yes, I agree. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, oh, go ahead. let's talk about the show, I yeah, guess. Yeah, let's talk, <laughs> talk about the, the matches that happened. Because, again, this was a, a really good show, bell to bell. Uh, so it opened up. We had the walking weapon, the former Impact World Champion, Josh Alexander, defeating Yuya Mora 11 minutes and 44 seconds. Really, really, really liked this match. Uh, I thought both guys shined. I thought they had a lot of chemistry for a first-time matchup. Um, as far as an opener, I mean, just a, a freaking hot opener, man. Um, and these guys wrestled their asses off. And, you know, Josh Alexander got the, the dub. Um, I did think it was a little strange how he, as well as Moose, were sort of utilized on this show in light of their kind of ongoing feud and impact. And there was no allusion to that really in any way. But other than that, you know, Josh Alexander, he's a guy that's been getting some, you know, bookings with new Japan lately. So he looked great. You, more looked great. I thought this was a really fun, exciting, energetic opener. I mean, if it had been given more time and a bigger stakes or a higher platform i could see these guys having a true classic that's how good i thought it was definitely yeah alexander he's so good and story of the matching you know, he's working over yumora's leg his finisher is an ankle lock so he was 
targeting Imura's leg throughout the match and jumping on the knee and really setting up to, to work that ankle lock. And Imura had to fight uh, from underneath. Uh, Imura had some great-looking German suplexes, great uh, drop kick, and, yeah, just a really great back-and-forth matchup here. But, you know, when you lock the ankle lock in and you sit down on it and lock the, lock the legs around it, it's game over. And that's what Alexander did towards the end here. Got that ankle lock in, locked both legs, and Imura had to tap. Yep. So in the second matchup, we had the Stray Dog Army of Bateman and Mysterioso defeating Violence Unlimited, Brody King, and Dirty Daddy, Chris Dickinson, 10 minutes and 8 seconds. And I'm sure as all you know by now, uh, Dirty Daddy was injured in this matchup. Yeah, that was uh, obviously, I mean, a disappointment is an understatement. Um, Chris Dickinson... Uh, gentleman that has been gracious enough to come beyond this show and has been nothing if not outstanding in his time in new Japan, as well as all the work he's doing on the Indies and in GCW and, you know, elsewhere. And he's a guy that is so passionate about professional wrestling. I mean, he is literally like the physical embodiment of like, when I think of like how I would physically like to look and be as like a cool guy (laughs) (laughs) and like badass sort of like character, like Chris Dickinson's kind of it. Um, And, you know, genuinely a good guy. And it kind of just, I mean, not kind of, it just sucks to sort of see him go down the way he did in that match. And it was a little bit scary. But, um, you know, our thoughts are with him. We've got some updates on him, though, so that's good news. Yep. so he was injured at Battle of Valley, and he's uh, set to undergo surgery. He posted a statement on Monday announcing that he'll be undergoing surgery. Uh, He revealed that he dislocated his leg out of the rear of his hip socket at Battle of Valley. In the process, he experienced an uh, acetabulum posterior wall fracture. He wrote that the process of dealing with the pain of the dislocation is unlike anything he's ever experienced. The timeline that Dickinson was given for recovery is within the range of six months, but he's hoping to be able to make it back in five months if everything goes right. Uh, the injury happened. He was going for a frog splash. So, you know, this weekend was the um, anniversary of the death of Eddie Guerrero. So we saw a lot of uh, Eddie tributes on Battle Valley and at AEW. Dickinson going for a frog splash here, uh, landed wrong, and yeah, had to uh, get pulled out. So Dickinson will be... Missing, obviously, the detonation tapings that happened. So he was replaced by Alex Zane and the tag match with Jay White and Hikaleo. And so it'll be Alex Zane uh, taking his spot there in that tag match, teaming with Yuya Yamura to face Jay White and Hikaleo. Yeah, so um, speedy recovery, best wishes and thoughts with uh, Chris Dickinson. Yeah. And, and, you know, it was, it was a pretty fun matchup up until that point. And I thought, you know, they were building on something really good here. So really sad to see that happen. Yeah, I mean, a lot of talent in this match, a lot of guys that I like. It was fun. It, it was a little chaotic and hectic. But, I mean, on this card, given the, you know, placement of the match, it was fine. Yeah. So next matchup, we had a big 10-man tag here. We had the team of Alex Coughlin, Alex Zane, David Finley, Fred Rosser, and Rocky Romero. Defeating the team filthy team of Dane Limelight, Jarrell Nelson, J.R. Kratos, Royce Isaac, and filthy Tom Lawler. 15 minutes, 12 seconds. This match was um, not quite what I expected. Um, you know, I kind of thought this would sort of be like, you know, a throwaway, you know, probably by the numbers fine sort of tag match. But I thought this that these guys worked a bit harder than that. 
probably given the stage and really went out there and put on a really fun, entertaining, compelling match. A lot of high flying, a lot of guys getting the times to shine. I think the the moment of the match that uh, stood out the most was Jared Kratos doing the uh, suicide tope um, yeah, the, the, onto the all the other wrestlers. Dude, and that. we've we've seen Jared Kratos tease this uh, tease dives a lot, but I don't think I recall him ever actually doing one until no. Now. He's always teased it, and he would always get cut off. Yeah, so it was really cool to kind of see a guy his size like actually do that. But um, yeah, man, I mean, a lot of talent in this match, and you know, the the big story: Fred Rosser had his haircut. He's now shaved his head. He's you know, they've ignited a rage and a fire in him that I never knew about before. And like, I'm actually, I granted, I thought the Renderita feud was very good, but like for the first time, I'm kind of bought in on Fred Rosser as a character. And that's a testament to not only him and the booking, but also the work that Tom Lawler is doing as champion because he's a despicable guy and I kind of want him to get his ass beat now. <laughs> yeah, and also I'm unspoiled. I don't know what happened at the tapings, but yeah, I'm, I'm kind of like behind roster now. I want to see him, you know, beat uh, Tom for cutting the hair and making this thing so personal. And yeah, this was a very heated match. Ton of cool spots. Uh, Zane had a cool spot. He did like this pop-up Rana off of Jarellison's back to Dane Limelight. That was pretty cool. And they kind of continued also like the, the power spots between Coglin and J.R. Kratos that happened on Strong a couple weeks ago. Did you like uh, Filthy Tom Lawler coming out with the big match gear? The tassels? <laughs> yeah, this man's in the tassels. <laughs> man wants to be this a young buck. <laughs> he changed nothing about his gear, and he just put some shitty blue little like teensy tiny tassels around his boots. <laughs> I think actually around his kick pads, like... He's got the most ridiculous. Oh, and by contrast, as ridiculous as his gear is, Fred Rosser's got probably career best gear on for this show. Like I'd never seen that man in gear that I actually thought was raw until now. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Yeah, but um, Fred Rosser picks up the win here. Um, I think he beat Jarrell. Or I'm sorry, no, he beat uh, Isaacs. Royce Isaacs. Emerald Flosion. Um, uh, yeah, like an Emerald Flosion, a version of it, a variant. Right, yeah. and I know I noticed that um that might be a, a new finisher going forward because Kevin Kelly didn't seem to know what to know what to call that move. He called it a body slam. Yeah, he has used it a couple times on Strong in the past. Typically, his WWE finisher that double uh, knee gut buster is what he typically uses. But there's been a couple matches where he busts out the the Emerald Flosion leg slam. I don't remember his finisher in WWE. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the primetime players millions of dollars, millions of dollars. Yeah, I remember when they were going to make Darren Young great again. <laughs> well, New Japan is making him great for the first time. For the first time. <laughs> and it's been awesome. So then uh, next matchup here, we have the Hot Feud with the LA Dojo United Empire. We have Clark Connors and Carl Fredericks. They got a win here over the United Empire duo of Jeff Cobb and TJP 10 Minutes. I'll tell you the truth. For me, I would not... Uh, go as far as to call this a hot feud. Just my personal opinion. I don't have that much investment. It, for me, it's all about Will Ospreay. Um, I don't care about Cobb and TJP facing off with Connors and Fredericks that much, but match was fine. Uh, we've seen Jeff Cobb face off with these guys in the past, especially Carl Fredericks in different tournament matches. Obviously, TJP and Clark Connors also have quite a bit of history, so 
even just aside from the United Empire LA Dojo thing, there's kind of a little bit of built-in backstory between the combatants. But um, I thought the match was good. It didn't blow me away, but um, you know, I thought it was a nice little chapter in the continuing story. Yeah, I really liked the match. I thought it was a lot of uh, cool spots in the ten minutes that there were um, a lot of interesting stuff, like um, Clark Connors. He like pounced TJP into Jeff Cobb's arms. <laughs> that was kind of a a cool spot there. Then an expiring Cobb. Um, and Cobb is doing a lot of cool power moves. Uh, Carl Fredericks hitting a big uh, Tope Kangiro at the beginning of the match. Uh, really wiped out those guys at the beginning of that. And There's always the possibility that I wasn't as into a lot of these matches as I could have been because of the production as well. Yeah. <laughs> so that's always a possibility. Um, but yeah. Um, it was cool to see Clark Connors and Carl Fredericks pick up the win here. Didn't they just pick up a win over these guys, though? Yeah, so Connors and Narita beat Osprey and TJP two weeks ago on Strong. Um, that right. Set up the Osprey Narita match. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of continuing the feud here. And um, interesting finish here. TJP, he like spit some kind of mist into our Carl Fredericks. It was water. Uh, yeah, water in Carl Fredericks' eyes. Got him uh, inside cradle. Cobb was distracting the referee, but then Clark uh, switched the inside cradle, so Carl was in control, held Cobb off, and they got the win. Yeah, they got the crafty, you know, right place, right time win, which was cool. I mean, I guess it's a good thing to see the LA Dojo continuing to pick up wins. I mean, it wouldn't be necessarily... Uh, I could see people complaining if, like, you know, Empire was just eating those guys alive, basically. Right. Which is why... Uh, Dom Homie... Oh, go ahead. I think that's why they brought TJP into the group to kind of be the pin eater for them on Strong. Makes sense. Um, Dom Homie 101 asked us, does it seem like between this group of young lions, including the LA Dojo lions, that they have the potential to lead New Japan into the next era in this company's history? Well, I mean, they have a great group of guys there with the, the LA Dojo young lions. And I think, yeah, there definitely are going to be a big part in the future of this company. Um, especially, I think all those guys are going to be crucial guys. I think they're going to be top guys. I mean, not all of them. Maybe who knows if any of them will be IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, but they are so good. And I think they're going to inject some life and energy into New Japan when they can finally travel over. Yeah, it's just one of those things. Um, there's a lot of talent, but, you know, um, there's a lot of things that have to be at play in order for um, everything to kind of work out for that talent, you know, Mm -hmm. beyond just them progressing as a wrestler and, you know, as a character and kind of finding themselves and finding their voice and their style and all that gaining, you know, a following, but, you know, you got to rub the right shoulders. You got to, you know, glad hand the right guys and kind of get favor with, you know the right bookers and there's a lot that go into it and it's again sort of right time right place some there have been young lines in the past that looked like they could go all the way and just be phenomenal and then don't end up doing much and then there's some that kind of look like nothing in the beginning and end up being world champions so it's hard to say but with the amount of talent that they have between the two dojos it would be hard to imagine that an entire generation or two of young lions goes by the wayside. So I just by the, you know, law of numbers, I'm sure that they've got 
you know, a bright future ahead of them with the guys they have. Yeah, I think yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be great once those guys get over and just more interaction and get them more in like the main storylines of uh, New Japan. I I do I do feel right now just based on where everything is, it's gonna be harder to integrate these LA Dojo young lines than it will be the Nogue Dojo young lines. Yeah, because there doesn't seem to even though Fredericks and Connors are quote unquote graduated and Coglin seems to be on the way they still sort of feel like quasi young line. They feel like they're on excursion to me just at home. Yeah. They kind of feel like the way Hanare felt for a long time. And maybe that's the feel they kind of want until they actually get back to new Japan in, in Japan. They need, I, all three of them are going to need something beyond just what they have right now, you know? And I think they probably know that, but like for me to feel invested into them, I'm not that I'm not invested in them, but for, the audience to really accept them, there, there's going to need to be more, you know, something storyline wise and character wise to really sink your teeth into. Yeah. So next match up here, we saw this feud continue in a singles match as Will Ospreay defeated Ren Narita 15 minutes and 43 seconds. Will Ospreay and Ren Narita have had great matches in the past, namely the super juniors match. They had a couple years ago, which was a genuine like four star affair and render is better than then now. And will Osprey is on a new level as well. And they went out there and I felt like they had probably match of the night. If not second best match of the night, they Really, really, really delivered. Ren Narita was out there doing a lot of the Shibata moves, and it kind of felt like we had a little proxy for Shibata taking on Will Ospreay here. Uh, if you wanted a guy to kind of represent the LA Dojo on a big stage against Will Ospreay, if Shibata couldn't be the guy in the ring with him doing it, Ren Narita was a, a really good choice. And I thought this match just rocked. Yeah, very hard hitting matchup. When we've seen Osprey since he's become heavyweight, has transitioned into more strikes using those, those rolling elbows, lots of chops and strikes, and so yeah, it's a really good matchup here. Um, on in the strong match, uh, Narita showed that he could duck the hidden blade, which he did towards the end of the match here. Worked to uh, get a guillotine. He also there was a spot where Osprey missed the four fifty, hurt his knee, and uh, Narita tried to lock in the Narita special. I forget which number uh, special that is. Uh, he tried to lock. It's the uh, that kind of that. Texas Cloverleaf, like sharpshooter thing he does, uh, try to lock that in. Um, and then he just also fell, elbow to the back of the head, Oz cutter for a near fall, and then Osprey was able to hit the hidden blade, did not need the Stormbreaker to put Narita away. Yeah, which I thought was a nice touch, but because um, we haven't really seen too many matches where Will Osprey is putting guys away without that. Right. So yeah, really but, fun matchup here. I went four and a quarter on it. Definitely a match if you can stand in production. It's a match to check out. If you can handle the production, it is a match that is recommended. And we had a question from Viking Payne. Says if Renarita's gimmick is going to be Shibata Junior, then they need to hurry up and strap that man up once he comes back. But I do recall him being used more as a junior heavyweight in New Japan than an actual heavyweight. Do you think that would be the case when he returns? Uh, I think it's hard to say, but to me, he's looking like a heavyweight to personally. Yeah. He's definitely put on a lot of muscles since he's been at the LA dojo. So it will be interesting to see where they end up slotting him. I mean, they always could start him back off as a junior and then elevate him up. 
Uh, we always use some fresh bodies in that junior division, so I guess we'll see where they want to put him and where they think they need him the most. Um, moving on, I have the Wrestle Kingdom news a little bit earlier than I should have in the rundown, so let's just skip down to the next matchup, which was Moose, the Impact World Champion, defeating the Flamboyant Juice Robinson in 14 minutes and 51 seconds. Um, this was a match that um, many people have called unexpectedly good. Um, I don't know if I would go that far because, you know, Juice is a really great wrestler and so is Moose. And, you know, it's kind of cool to see uh, an interpromotional sort of just, I, I, I don't want to call it dream match necessarily, but, you know, something akin to that. But, um, you know, considering who was in it, I'm not surprised that they went out there and tore the house down. But um, I did think it was, I don't know, like they booked it. Moose is obviously the impact champion. So him taking a loss would be difficult. Plus he is coming off of a big loss recently to Ishii. But I also sort of felt like Juice, you know, is kind of in that middling area right now. Uh, People are kind of wondering what's going on with him and his contract situation. And he did just come out of the, uh, Hickaleo feud on a winning side, but he also suffered a loss during that feud. So it's kind of like up, down, up, down. And uh, I don't know, like part of me is glad they did the match because of course the match was great. And both of these guys were really good and it was fun to see them wrestle. But I also kind of want to see juice sort of like uh, I was hoping he would rally and kind of, you know, get back in the wind calm. And he took another loss here. Plus Moose, ate a uh, Pulp Friction yeah, and then kicked out. And I can't remember too many times where guys have kicked out of the Pulp Friction. So I was a little surprised by that too. Yeah, it was a really good matchup here. I really enjoyed this match. I was actually, I guess maybe I shouldn't have been surprised, but this match was better than I thought it was going to be considering, you know, it's, you know, Moose being an impact guy and Juice has kind of been lower on the card on these New Japan shows. But these guys went out here and really killed it. And, um... I just had a point I was going to make, and I forgot. Um, oh, I was going to say, um, you know, Juice being an impact, you know, I figured there could have been a chance of Juice getting the upset win here to set up a impact title match at impact. Uh, but I guess they just wanted to keep the the champ strong here, and I guess they're not going to go to a, another Juice Moose match. But, yeah, this, this was a awesome match. You know, Moose is just a freaky athlete with, like, the springboard crossbar he does, and just his explosionness that he has in the ring, and so... Very hard-hitting, great matchup here. I won four stars uh, flat on this one. Moose hits a spear. His explosionness? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's an awesome word. I'm going to start using that. Uh, he hits a spear on Juice to uh, get the win. Yeah. Um, again, really good match. I liked a lot of the brawling on the outside, too. Not, I mean, some of the um, athletic stuff that you mentioned was really outstanding, but they also did a lot of really cool, fun brawling on the outside as well but i i was in line with you i sort of thought possibly he could uh juice could pick up a win here and maybe set up some sort of title shot down the line plus you know there could have been a way to do an out with josh alexander sort of being there on that evening too right but that none of that really kind of came to fruition so it was you know and who knows moose is a guy that from what we understand New Japan is high on, so I'm sure we might be seeing more of him down the road. Yeah. And we had a couple questions here about this matchup. So first from Grunty Dog, he says, you guys have been critical 
of Jesus' attire in the past couple of years, what do you think of his macho man look? In my opinion, it's his best since the pimp Undertaker look from the 2019 G1. Yeah, I'd probably agree with that. Yeah, I'm digging the the, the new macho man look. Yeah, I I don't have much more to say than that. I mean, I think Juice looks better than he has in a while. I'm I'm still not feeling like uh, the way he's being presented is full-on superstar mode right now, but uh, I would agree that this was probably his best look since... um, since he cut his hair and probably that, yeah. Like was the undertaker look, uh, was that, uh, after he cut his hair? Yeah. Cause that was, that was after the, um, the Moxley match bleeding to the G one. So yeah, he had, he had the haircut by then. Okay. Then yeah, I would agree with that. So next, uh, from the dark soldier with Jesus contract coming up and how his booking has been, it's starting to look like he might leave. Honestly, it's sad that it might come to that. He's just someone who I think could have been an extremely strong U.S. champion and an overall great presence on the card. Yet any time he gets rolling, it felt like they cut his legs off. He wins the U.S. title the first time, loses most of his G1 matches. Loses the title to Cody, who didn't beat him in the G1. Wins it back only to have a bunch of relatively weak opponents. Then his feud with Mox happens and gets delayed because of a hurricane. Loses a match to Archer for the title, gets another U.S. title match. And then he's barely promoted because it's tied to the first Ever two night Wrestle Kingdom where Mox and Archer were wrestling in the first night has a tag team with Dave Finley that doesn't doesn't get much attention. Look, I'm just saying Jesus booking has been questionable. What do you think? Oh, I totally agree. Yeah, I mean, we've been saying it on the show for a while now. We felt like ever since he lost to the first match of Mox, like he's just never been the same after that. Yeah, um, you know, um, we actually we, we had a discussion amongst um, friends of ours in a group chat. And I mean, for some casual wrestling fans, they kind of see Juice as like not that big a star, you know. But we've been doing this podcast for a while. And I mean, there was a point where we were there. I wouldn't say quite at the genesis or the beginning of Juice being a star. I mean, as fans, we were. But we were kind of com- when this show started, we were right on the genesis of him becoming coming into the apex of his uh, superstardom. Like he had just had big wins against guys like Kenny Omega, and you know, tag team win over Naito um, in the previous year, and he was still looking for that elusive win against Goto. He was motivated, having great matches in New Japan Cups against guys like Tanahashi, things like that, and then. You know, it kind of all culminated in that big U.S. title win against Jay White and then a slow descent between that San Francisco show and then the Mox match. And that Mox match, when he shaved his head and had probably one of the best matches of his career, it felt like that was a crossroads where he might be on the precipice of, of a new chapter of his career, but little did we know it was sort of the slow descent. And I think some of it might have to do with Personal things are going on. Some of it uh, definitely has a lot to do with the pandemic. But, you know, the stuff with Cody, having lackluster matches with Cody didn't help things. Him losing to Cody the way he did didn't help things. The bookings he's had in G1s year after year after year where he's constantly treated like a lower middle class guy has definitely not helped. Um, The feud with... uh, not just mocks, but then how they had a when the natural disaster happened and then they transitioned to Lance Archer and then Archer beat him. And then it felt like 
for Wrestle Kingdom that year, he was kind of set up for a big redemption win against both Archer or possibly Archer or Mox. And then he lost again. It does feel like a lot of the wind was taken out of his sail and it wasn't always his fault. I think towards the tail end, we've seen a marked um, decrease in motivation. And, you know, we talked about things like maybe his physique kind of went down at one point and less effort was put into the character, less effort was put into some of the attires. It doesn't mean that Juice isn't still a fantastic character or fantastic worker, but uh, I, I do see that the company has maybe lost some faith in him. And I think that, and maybe that's the wrong way to put it, but they just don't seem to be investing in him the way they were for those couple of years. There was a point where juice felt like a top 10 guy in the company and he's clear. He's not right now. And I think he could and should have been, there was a time where, you know, WWE wanted to sign him and it felt like he was one of the hottest potential upcoming free agents in the entire sport. And someone that was, you know, a future white belt champion and, you know, IWGP, you know, challenger and a regular headliner main card type of guy, you know, someone who could bump into the top six if he really, really stayed the course. I mean, that win over Jay White, it was so phenomenal and it just hasn't panned out. And yeah, uh, I don't know what's going to happen with his contract situation. I would like for him to stay, but only if, only if the company uses him better and only if he becomes more motivated and, you know, evolves as a character and a performer. Um, otherwise, it might be better for him career-wise to go elsewhere. Right. And even if you look at the way he's been booked here in the U.S., I mean, he, he's barely been on strong. And then when he is on strong, you know, he's been feuding with, what, Hikaleo? I guess it was a very, like, low feud for him. And even losing one of those matches to Hikaleo, I think, is kind of a big deal. Um and so, yeah, just I, I definitely think there needs to be, like, if he resigns, like, there should be a game plan to re-elevate him back up. There's no denying that they took him on a two-year odyssey from the time that he first faced off against Hiroki Goto to the time that he finally won the U.S. title against Jay White. And that was incredible booking. But since he lost to Mox at that best of Super Junior Finals, uh, the booking and utilization of him as a character has been highly questionable and probably one of the biggest, bigger misfires of new Japan's management the past couple of years. Yeah. And post match, uh, we had the debut, the new Japan debut of Jonah rock, but I think he's just going by Jonah. Now here in uh, new Japan, he comes out, he faces off with moose moose backs off and Jonah hits a big senton on Juice Robinson. Dave Finley tries to make a save, and Jonah lays out Finley as well and says that he is the, the new big dog in New Japan, and you know, he's, you know, coming to take stuff did, by storm. Did he say it was his yard? <laughs> I think he talked about his bloodline. Did he talk about his cousins and their DUIs? <laughs> his cousin, uh, Mikey Nichols and Shane Haste. Did he talk about how he needed to be acknowledged? <laughs> no no alright I am I, I, I much prefer Jonah Rock as a name right than just Jonah maybe there's a problem with there being two rocks on the same show you know Rocky Jonah Rock I don't know but maybe maybe he'll do a reverse WWE you know how guys lose their last name and just go to the first name maybe he'll gain the last name as time goes on hmm because I like Jonah Rock better. So 
So what do you think about him just uh, being in New Japan? Yeah, I mean, he looked great. Um, he looked bigger than I remember him being, but I don't know if that's just because I've never seen him in street clothes before. Right. Um, maybe the singlet like makes him look smaller than he actually is, but uh, it looked like he might potentially be bigger physically than he was last time I recall seeing him in NXT. But uh, I don't think, I mean, dude, we wanted Jonah Rock to come to New Japan when they were doing the Australia tours, you know, three or four years ago. And there was a lot of interest in him. It didn't happen, but uh, Jonah Rock's always been a guy that I've liked a lot. And I, I'm happy that he's going to be doing some work with New Japan, uh, what it means long-term. I don't know, but uh, yeah, I, it feels like this would be a good fit. Yeah. So then following the angle, we had the big quote-unquote dream match. Kazuchika Okada, the Rainmaker, he defeats Buddy Matthews, 16 minutes and 23 seconds. For a fifth match between Okada and Omega, this wasn't <laughs> quite what I was expecting. Yeah, Omega uh, was really off here. Yeah, something wasn't right. Um it just it it didn't quite have the you know the the fast paced action and storytelling that I was used to from the previous four encounters. Still good in its own right. Picked up towards the end. Um, I don't. It was weird. Kenny didn't use any V triggers. He didn't go for a one winged angel. No dragon rushes. Like he didn't set up on the table on the outside. No phoenix splash attempt. You know, it was weird. It was weird. But uh, I don't know. It was pretty good. <laughs> No, but all seriously, I, I thought uh, Buddy Matthews uh, looked really good in this matchup here. There was a lot of callbacks to his uh, partnership with Seth Rollins. He, he hit the buckle bomb and the, the curb stomp at one point in this match. Bro, uh, I've never seen anyone hit a curb stomp the way he hit that curb. I mean, he freaking <laughs> laid into it. I mean, I, I had to rewind it, and his foot never left the man's head until it literally hit the canvas. Like, he stomped it into the ground for like for real, for real. <laughs> yeah, this man's like, oh, we, we're strong style. Hold this. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought the match was good. It was a little bit of a slower pace for the majority of it. I, um, I kind of thought most of the, and I hate to be the guy that does this, but you know, you hear this complaint sometimes. But I thought most of the early work was insignificant. Yeah, and then towards the tail end they turned it on and started having a really great back and forth match that kind of culminated in a, you know, in a rainmaker. Um, I, I think Buddy Matthews and Okada are probably capable of doing much more, but 60 minutes, they went out there, they had a, a fine match. I probably would have gone like, I don't know, three, three quarters, maybe. Yeah. I, w- I went four and a quarter on it. Oh, I was nowhere near that. <laughs> I, I didn't like this match even. I didn't like it as much as, um, either the I didn't like it as much as the Moose and Juice match, which I was surprised we never got a Moose Juice chant off. Yeah, which we should have got that. I don't <laughs> know what the deal was, and I didn't like it as much as um, Will Osprey and Narita. Yeah, I think I like Osprey and Narita better, but I don't know I just I, I like this matchup. I thought it was good. I thought that was great. It was good. I did not think it was great. I thought it was good. Um. But I'd like to see more of Buddy Matthews in New Japan. I think he's a good fit. I've made jokes about him being 205, but that's not really the case. <laughs> as as you can see with him and Okada, I mean, they're not far off in size at all. And, um, yeah, Buddy Matthews was, you know, I thought he was impressive. Um, and 
yeah, it was a good match. Yeah, we had a question here from Raising Falcons that Buddy Matthews got robbed. He was raining elbows on Okada, and the ref should have called off the match and handed him the win. Instead, the ref wrestles Buddy away from the Golden Boy and resumes the match. This wasn't at all when Matthews was at the ropes. Okada started to drag him away while Buddy had a rope break, and the ref did nothing. Does, does Okada pay off his referees or the ref's secret chaos members? Okada has us all fooled. Yeah, um, I smell conspiracy here for sure. You know, it is kind of weird that Rocky's, that Okada's best friend is a member of the office in Rocky Romero. Mm. Who do you think pays these referees and officials? Yeah, the the fix was in. <laughs> but, you know, the early UFC, I don't know if, do you know that like the early UFC is like the Gracie's family, the Gracie family were like one of the top um like business partners for the early UFCs. I heard something about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean like the early UFCs were essentially like infomercials for Gracie Jiu Jitsu. <laughs> like at, at, generally speaking, the first five at least. And so something tells me that NJP of USA is actually NJPW of chaos and that, you know, the chaos, you know, stable and office is kind of just taken over all of the ongoings that, that take place in, in this uh, offshoot brand. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if the, if the fix was in. Yeah, it seems like it. Yep. So uh, post-match, we had Will Ospreay cutting off Okada's uh, celebration. Comes out with the quote-unquote real IWGP World Heavyweight title. The real fake IWGP <laughs> World title? <laughs> yeah. You know, said, hey, big brother, long time no see, and says, you know, you won the G1. That means you can challenge me for my title. And Okada was like, nah, you're going to challenge me. Um, and so then um, Osprey said, you know what? The winner of you and Chingo, you guys can fight over your over your fake titles, and the winner can face me for the real title on the main event of January 5th. Yeah, I thought um, Okada's English promo skills were um, a lot more impressive than I would have expected them to have been. Yeah. Even just some of his inflections, you know, mm -hmm. like sometimes you hear a foreign speaker who's not like English isn't their first language. I don't know how much English like realistically Okada even speaks or understands. I, I think it's very little from what I, I'm guessing based on what we've seen in the past, but they kind of coached him on what to say and we've seen uh, foreign language speakers try to cut English promos and they say the right words, but the way they speak it doesn't always like come off right because they don't hear the way it should sound correctly. Right. But like Okada didn't have that problem. He was like, you're going to face me. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Oh shit. This guy's like cutting a promo. At one point he, he was like, I'm going to make it rain. Gonna make it rain. I was like, oh, fuck. So, so, someone told this dude to go to America and get a catchphrase, and he didn't know like what was a good catchphrase. <laughs> so he, but you know, I give him a for effort, you know. Um, but yeah, I thought that this promo, like face off, was probably actually better than the ones that they were having this time last year prior to their Wrestle Kingdom match. So even though I, I still think the whole triple gold situation is pretty convoluted. And I don't quite get why, again, same way as Will Ospreay la or Jay White last year. Why does Will Ospreay get the advantage of fighting the loser of the double babyface match on January 4th? I don't, uh, based on what? I don't know. Well, I mean, he, um, he is uh, unpinned, unsubmitted. 
never lost a title. If you really buy into that, but they stripped him of the title, you know, when does the champion, when does the a non-champion get to come in and dictate his terms for when he gets a title challenge? Because that essentially is what it is. He's challenging for a title. Right. But uh, whatever. Well, you know, the, the, the IWGP committee, they approved it. We got the official announcement. The main event of night two, Wrestle Kingdom 16, Tokyo Dome, will be Will Ospreay facing the winner, uh, Shingo versus Okada from night one for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. They also have a post-match backstage comment from Shingo. I was confused because I saw that it was from the show, and then I saw Shingo, and I was like, oh, shit, Shingo showed up on the show, um, which we'd heard rumors he was going to be. I don't know what pl- changed with those plans, but we had been told both Shingo and Okada were coming for this show, and it turned out just to be Okada. Right. Um, I guess plans change. But he did cut a promo probably in Japan, and they played it, and he was like, what the fuck are you fools talking about? Right. So you're I, not chant. <laughs> yeah, I have a statement here. He says, Okada Osprey. Who do you think you're kidding? I know what you guys said in San Jose. I don't know what kind of weird pseudo sibling rivalry thing you two have going on. You don't call us shots. That's what I thought at first. But then looking at what you two said, that means Osprey's coming to Japan, right? That changes things. If he's coming to Japan, he should face me. January 4th, Kazusuke Okada. January 5th, Will Osprey. I'll smash the two of them. There's only one person to clean up this whole belt mess around here, and it isn't Osprey or Okada. It's me. And this time, Osprey, no ducking me. Make sure you come here. Let's settle it. Yeah, and I don't want to go too in-depth with the whole discussion on that. I think we should save that for more, like, Wrestle Kingdom preview. But I will say this. Not having Shingo there to be in the midst of all this kind of sucked because mm-hmm. now – you've got this really cool build for Okada and Osprey, which might happen the next night, but it could easily be Shingo and Will Osprey. And they're not doing at this point, based on what they've done a good enough, maybe they'll rectify it as time goes on. But right now there's no heat for an Osprey Shingo match. And then if in fact uh, Okada is winning, it's like you're kind of showing your hand a little bit too much ahead of time. So I I would like to see them do something to kind of play off of that and maybe show that it could in fact end up being Shingo and Will because last thing I want is to go into the um, Okada and Shingo match on the first night and, you know, just basically know for a fact (laughs) that Okada's beating Shingo, foregone conclusion, like that's the way it's happening. Yeah, that would really suck, especially because Shingo literally put the company on his back. He's but he's the real world champion, and for him to just be kind of like blue out of the, the picture night one would kind of suck. Well, that's going to take us to the main event here. Yeah, real quick, we did have a question about uh, from Viking Pain on the scenarios for Wrestle Kingdom. Should we kind of hold off on that till we get to Wrestle Kingdom, or should we take a look at it? Uh, well, what's the question? We'll decide. So he says, now that we know that what what now that we know what the, the main events of Wrestle Kingdom Night One and Two are, it makes way more sense to make Shingo the protagonist of the story, not Okada and protagonist of the story than Okada or Osprey. He's legitimately the real world champion and carry the company for a good bulk of the year, while Okada and Osprey are just being dicks in the storyline. The way I would book it is Shingo beats Okada on night one. Okada has nothing to do but be disrespected. Shingo and the world title. I'd rather he gets beaten and humbled. In a loss and see whatever complicated nonsense he plans on doing with the heavyweight title. 
Then Chinga goes on to beat Osprey, his bitter rival, and the man he has a losing record against to become the undisputed world champion on night two. Then on night three, we can finally get an Ibushi Shingo match for the world title since they've been wanting to do that match for a while now. And Ibushi actually has a legit claim for a title shot too because he beat Shingo in the G1. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, that's a scenario that could play out. Um, but I think it is discounting the impact of this promo se- segment between Okada and Osprey because you're essentially saying that they're teasing a big match that they're not going to be doing right now anyways, which right. doesn't, I mean, I guess does kind of make sense, but not really. Right. I guess the only thing is if Shingo ends up with both belts at the end of night two for night three, I guess you could do Okada Osprey. That is possible. Um, you know, one thing I also thought about is, let's say Okada wins, right? Then he goes in the second night and fights Osprey. This would be hot potatoing. I don't want them to do anything like this, but let's just say Osprey wins. Could do Osprey and Shingo on night three for some reason. Yeah, you I know, mean, I don't know. Shingo just walk out and just challenge him. <laughs> Right, exactly. So, I don't know, man. Um, I'm not a big fan of what's going on completely, but I did like this segment. I'll just leave it at that. Um, we'll talk more about what we think is going to happen as time goes on, but I don't know what to expect for that third night right now, so it's hard for me to kind of project the different outcomes. You know, there's other guys, too, that could be in wait by the time everything comes up. You know, Jay, who knows what Jay White will be doing. Who knows what some of these AEW stars might be doing around that time. Who knows what Doki will be doing around that time. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so let's go to the main event here. Never open weight title match. If Ishii loses, he could never challenge for the never open weight title again. But our man did it. Big Tom Tomohiro Ishii defeats the Switchblade Jay White. 28 minutes and 40 seconds. And I thought this was a, a great matchup here between uh, Jay and Ishii. Coming in, Ishii is 2-1 uh, in their prior singles meeting. But Jay White did win their last meeting, which happened at Castle Attack in Osaka in February. It's obviously a, a long history here between um, Jay and Ishii. And I thought the video package before the match did a great job. It's kind of showing how many times these guys have kind of been in the ring against each other. And obviously, Jay is still uh, holding hatred against Ishii because Ishii uh, knocked him out of the G1. Um, so, also some of that uh, history played in this match as well. But really good match. I really enjoyed this match up here. I think Jay and Ishii just have great chemistry. Um, and Ishii just a great seller and great underdog. And Jay is kind of, I feel like Jay kind of ate up Ishii uh, a lot of this matchup here and was gonna end majority in control. And Ishii was having to uh, fight from underneath, uh, but he came through, chops to the throat, big moves until he could finally hit that uh, vertical drop brain buster. Um, yeah, I agree with most of what you said there. Um, match was great. I will tell you though, and I know I've said it before. The, the production quality just really got to me, especially on this one. It made it so hard for me to, with a lengthy match like this, 28 minutes, I think normally if this had happened and I could see clearly, I wouldn't be surprised being, feeling as though the match breezed by. 
but because of it being a longer show and the production issues, and they never let up. And then uh, I think that buffer where they showed the, um, the preview package and the package is so much clearer than the show. You're watching. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then they start the show. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> so I wasn't a fan of that, but the match was very good. Um, I didn't like though how, Oh, I guess it's twofold. In the, in the promo package, they try to make it seem like this has just been an ongoing epic feud from literally from last year when Jay White almost walked out, quote unquote, and then lost to Ishii and came back. They they kind of retconned that into connecting it to this ongoing issue here in New Japan of America. But to me, they're two separate, distinct things. Like Jay beat this man emphatically and closed the door after the G1 previously and after, you know, their most recent feud and kind of moved on, you know? Mm -hmm. And then this other feud sort of happened, but they sort of like made it seem like this has just been an ongoing issue between these two guys in the video package, which package was really well done, but I don't know that I buy into the whole narrative that like, you know, it's just a thorn that he can't get out of his side necessarily. Right. Because it just sort of popped up recently. Right, with Ishii when he was in the U.S. for the Resurgent show and the, those strong tapings. They had the whole the angle there on that strong taping. Um, right. But um, overall, the match was good. I, I will tell you, I don't know if I can um, tell you if I thought it was like their best or worst match or anything like that. I know they've had a lot of great matches in the past. and You know, it's Tomohiro Ishii and Jay White's really great. And I think that for... Jay Tomohiro Ishii is one of his top, I don't want to say his best opponent, but I wouldn't be surprised if he was like a top three opponent for him. Yeah, you know, definitely. Match quality wise. So, uh, but you know, the big thing Ishii, if he had lost, he never got to, he would never be able to challenge for this title again. So oftentimes that is the big giveaway as to who's going to win. But at the same time, Jay is a big star and Ishii beating him on a big stage for a title like this seemed unlikely, you know? So it was kind of, it did cause you to kind of question, which is always good. And I was happy to see Ishii get him up there and fucking plant this dude and get the one, two, three, which was really cool. Yeah. You know, those, those lattice checks, they, they clear rich sent the bag over to Ishii to, uh, you know, get, get the job done. <laughs> We got a couple questions. Viking Pain said, are you surprised to see Jay White drop the Never Tell to Ishii this soon with Wrestle Kingdom 16 around the corner? Uh, what's he going to do now at the show? And has the U.S. title surpassed the Never Titles, the number two belt in the promotion? So I'm not fully surprised that Jay dropped the Never Title. We kind of speculated on this last week that if Jay loses the belt, you can also, he can, he can lose up. You can push him into that you know world title scene. You can put him in a big... Some other kind of big singles match on these Wrestle Kingdom shows, and he doesn't he doesn't need the never title for that. Right, totally agree with that. Now, there is speculation out there that Jay White is leaving because I don't know these different interviews have been going on, and you know the Gaijin unrest and everything like that. And I'm not here to speculate as to whether he is or isn't because I don't really know. Uh, I think it's unlikely, but um, let's just assume he's not. Uh, then, you know, if he's not, then the case remains that he could easily be in play as one of the, you know, top guys 
to come into Japan for, you know, challenging for the world title, which is something he hasn't really had an opportunity to kind of play into that. He hasn't been a factor in the world title scene at all so far. Um, so that would be something kind of new and fresh for him to do, which I don't think is outside their own possibility at all. Yeah. Uh, as far as his second question about the never title, um, has the U.S. title surpassed the never title? Um, I'd say yeah, but by, by a little bit. I don't. I wouldn't take a, a drastic shift. Obviously, with the never title being stuck in the U.S. for a while, I think definitely kind of lowered it and not having a lot of defenses. Uh, but I mean, I think they're almost level playing field. I do feel like Ishii winning it is it's going to take it back to kind of where it was. I'll tell you, I genuine, I generally think that for the most part, I think the U.S. title has almost always been beyond the Never title. Mm-hmm. Um, the only time, <laughs> uh, as strange as it sounds, where I feel like it was truly like the bottom barrel title was when Juice was holding it those couple times, mm-hmm. and maybe when Cody had it, just given their placement within the company. Um, but, you know, when, like, Mox was holding it and when Jay White was holding it and when Kenny Omega was holding it, even Lance Archer, it always kind of headlined higher than the Never title did. And then now with the White belt being gone, I think they made an attempt to elevate the Never title by putting it on guys like Tanahashi and Jay White, but I don't think it ever really got to that level um, I, I think the red belt right now, just given the fact that it was on mocks for so long and highlighted in so many different ways, is probably the bigger title. But who knows? I think it might just be a case of whichever titles in Japan at the time is the higher level title, and the one in America happens to be the one on the back burner because it's in the smaller, you know, farm league promotion for them. Right. Well, it seems like we're going to have both of them back with uh, Ishii winning. I'm guessing he's going to bring that back to Japan, so we'll have both the Never and U.S. titles back in Japan. Well, maybe we could put some shine on that strong title. You know, we kind of complained about that around Resurgence, and maybe uh, maybe that can, uh, you know, get a little bit more play, you know? Yeah. So, our next question here from Pussy Destroyer 83619. Now that Jay. Yes, <laughs> yes. Now that Jay has lost the Never Openweight belt, what's next for him? A possible feud with Evil for control of the Bullet Club? Maybe on one of the Wrestle Kingdom nights, it's Evil and Kenta versus Tanahashi and Jay. This leads to into Jay's face turn and departure from Bullet Club altogether. What do you think will happen with Jay come Wrestle Kingdom? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a possibility. If you notice, he, uh, Jay White came out again full on baby face mode to sweeting everyone in the crowd which is not you know his mo we saw it in um la earlier this year but i mean i he's just never done that any other time really <laughs> yeah and maybe it's a case of like where california's bizarro world for new japan <laughs> you know Man, and bizarro uh, world king you know jay white is bret hart in canada when he goes to california <laughs> i don't know but uh yeah, I mean, there's definitely a story to be told there for the Bull Club. And, I mean, it's not even just a story to be told. It's all the elements are there. There's a house of torture and there's a Bull Club and there's tension. So, you know, they've mentioned stuff on commentary, so we'll see. But uh, I think that's probably down the road what's next as far as in the immediate sense. I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets one big challenge. This is just my – I'm just kind of shooting off the cuff. But I wouldn't be surprised if Jay White gets some sort of title challenge. 
as his current persona and fails. And that kind of leads to tension between himself and other members of the bullet club, namely, namely the house of torture. I wouldn't be surprised if he won the new Japan cup or was that guy before the new Japan cup to challenge it like new beginning or fake wrestle kingdom or something. Yeah. I mean, I could, I could definitely see them doing an evil match at one of the wrestle kingdom nights. And I, there was on some show they teased like show said something about evil being the real leader the Bullet Club, so there's definitely tension there, and they could definitely do that. Also, with the whole like US of J gimmick, I mean, he could potentially end up getting the US title to kind of keep doing that gimmick. So we'll see what happens. Nice. So, New Japan of America, they've announced three events for the first quarter of 2022. Uh, during Battle in the Valley event in San Jose, the company announced the dates January 15th, they're going to be in Seattle, Washington Hall. February 17th, they're going to be at Vermont Hollywood in Los Angeles, California. And then March 20th, they're coming back to the Coliseum in Tampa. <clears throat> I mean, St. Petersburg, Florida. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, pretty exciting. Some strong tapings and pretty exciting. New Japan will be back in our backyard. And we had a question from Viking Payne. It says, New Japan Strong is coming to the Tampa area. Will you two be going? I'm still waiting for NJPW to come to the mid section of their map. Yeah, I, we both expect to be there. Uh, I think we are already preliminarily making some plans for that event. Um, more to come, but uh, it's going to be exciting. Uh, it's a good venue, and uh, you know, can't wait. Yeah. He also asks, who do you think has a brighter future with New Japan, Buddy Matthews or Jonah Rock? No, uh, I don't know. It's hard. That's a tough call. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think. I could see Jonah Rock having a long-term future, like longer-term future with New Japan over Buddy Matthews personally. Yeah, I feel like Jonah. I mean, you you do have Cobb kind of that monster gaijin role, but I feel like Jonah could also be another kind of monster gaijin guy that they bring in and have him just wreck people in New Japan. Yeah, I think New Japan's a good fit for both guys because they're from Australia, they're oceanic, that sort of thing, but. I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if Buddy Matthews wasn't in New Japan long-term and maybe wound up potentially working for Tony Khan. Right. Maybe not. Hard to say. Yeah. Uh, Fit Beautiful 2638 asks, do you think Buddy slash Jonah have future dates in Japan at this point booked, or are they U.S.-only talent? Uh, I mean, we would just be speculating at this point. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I think if, if either one of them did have stuff going on in the future in Japan, I feel like it – I know this sounds crazy, but, like, I feel like Jonah Rock's more likely. Mm. I mean, here's the thing. Like, I don't want to discount what's going on with uh, Buddy Matthews. They put him in there with Okada day one. So clearly they see something in him, and they probably are investing on some level. But – uh I don't know, Jonah Rock, like, they had so so much interest and, like, everyone was so high on him before he went to NXT. They put him in a feud with uh, Juice right out the gate and had him kind of decimate Finn Juice. I don't know, I just feel like, could he fit into a G1 pretty easily? Oh, yeah. You know, next year? You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not saying Buddy Matthews couldn't, but, like, they kind of have guys that are kind of similar to him. But they don't really have anyone that's like Jonah Rock. I'm just thinking of the long-term play. Like, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's what I think. 
Yeah, I would, I would agree with you. I, I could definitely see Buddy in a, in a G1. I mean, excuse me, Jonah in a G1 over Buddy. But I think Buddy would be a great addition to G1 or a best super junior. I'm not quite sure where he's weighing, but he's absolutely jacked. So maybe he's leaning more towards the heavyweight. But we'll see what happens. Uh, Hawaiian Punch BV with Jonah Rock now being a part of the roster. Does this give Mikey Nichols potentially something to do? The Mighty O'Neal can reunite for a future World Tag League. That would be cool. Yeah, I, mean, I recently I recently watched a match that was recommended between him and um, Robbie Eagles and EPW from earlier this year, and I I heard the match was a lot better than I perceived it to actually be. But uh, I've heard Mikey Nichols been doing a lot of really good work in Australia and actually did reform the Mighty Don't Kneel or some version of it uh, over there. So you know maybe maybe you're right. Maybe that would give him a reason to come back to Japan. Yeah. Again, he's in chaos too, bro. <laughs> For now. Yeah. Uh, Don Homie 101 asks, thoughts on the NJPW future of Buddy Matthews, Jonah, and Moose? Is it possible to see that one of these guys in the G1 in the near future? I think it's likely. I, I, I think we've talked a bit about I, I, their futures. I mean, I... I can't speculate more than just you know what's next for them or map out their careers but all those all three of those guys are supremely talented have a lot to offer and i wouldn't be surprised to see at least one of them in a g1 down the road yeah i think at the very least we'll see at least one of them but i think we could see all three i think g1 next year especially being in the 50th year anniversary i think it's gonna be a really great g1 i think they're trying to bring some a lot of new faces in so i think yeah next year's g1 is gonna be lit yeah, but think about what you just said, all three of them. Think about how limited the spots have been for the G1 in the past. I mean, unless they expand the blocks, I don't see that personally. And we talked about at least, I think, what, three or four names that we could see being dropped. That's true. But I don't know that these would be the three names to, to be included. Right. Also, we don't know what the, As, land, the landscape's going to Especially look like. with, some, with some of the guys that didn't get in this year, like Jay White and Will Ospreay, you know. Right. So I think you know guys like Goto, they they might be on the chopping block, <laughs> possibly. Well, that's gonna do it for um, Battle in the Valley. We've got two more nights to discuss here: World Tag League as well as Super Juniors. But we are running short on time. I think maybe we just kind of skim through these because I didn't feel like either of them were blowaway nights that really warrant a lot of discussion. I know we got some questions and some talking points, but. Yeah, I think we can kind of just talk about the question talking points. I really don't have a ton of notes on the matches for either of these nights, so we can just kind of run through it. Bro, I never have notes. I go off the off riff every, every time. <laughs> so uh, World Tag League Night 1 was November 14th. Opened up, we had Fujita and Nakashima going to a 10-minute time limit draw. Still Take all the, all the comments I said last time and just copy them and then paste them here because they're basically the same. Exactly, yeah. Working on the arm and 10-minute draw. Then opening up, we had Dangerous Techers, Taichi and Saber, defeating Minoru Suzuki and the returning Taka Michikinoku, 18 minutes and 44 seconds. Uh, we had a question from Hawaii Punch BV. What do you think of the passion of the Michinoku? Have you ever beat up a friend as badly as Dangerous Techers did to Taka? Yeah, I fuck people up all the time, including <laughs> my friends. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> You know, Yo. one time Jeremy, one time Jeremy told me to pay the rent early. And I was like, bitch. 
No, I'm just playing. Um, yeah, this actually, I wouldn't go out of my way and say it was like a great match. I don't think it fit the bill of like what we've seen when it comes to Techers versus Suzuki and friends in the past during World Tag League. But in a certain way, this was kind of the standout match in terms of like noteworthy events because like Hawaiian Punch BV mentioned, Dangerous Techers laid a hurt on fucking Michinoku. They beat that man's ass. (laughs) You know, and it makes me wonder like if it was just like we're friends, so we're going to like, you know, be a little like more stiff and harsh with a guy that we know or maybe like this was some comeuppance that's been a long time coming like, yo, you fucked up our gig. Right. (laughs) Um, Or maybe like like, you messed up Zack Sabre time. You messed up Zack Sabre time, you know, submission master. (laughs) Um, I don't know if like Gato like pulled one of these guys aside and was like, you know, take Togo's boy out, (laughs) make him wish he never came back to this company. Lay it in. (laughs) Lay it in. Or if it was just a situation where it was like, he's an outsider. He's the lowest totem guy in the entire tournament. And they really wanted to get dangerous techers over as a dangerous threat. Cause I mean, bro, they knocked this man out. I mean, I can't remember the last time in a tag league where actually I can, the last time I really remember there being a stoppage, it wasn't like this, but I remember Zach Saber um, stopped Ishii. Um, in a in a triangle choke a couple years ago. Yeah. But this was vicious, man. I mean, they just kept, you know, I mean, I really loved the finish. Like, the, they, <laughs> they kept hitting him with Saito's and all this shit, and then the referee's counting on him. And, I mean, I can't remember the last time there was a, a legit 10-count knockout in New Japan, which is something that's right up my alley, and I think there should be more of that. It was brutal. It was really cool. Yeah, dude, it was awesome. Actually dropping the man with a dangerous... And just, yeah, man, they, they laid it into that, man. And Suzuki just had to watch it. <laughs> yeah. He couldn't even do anything. Yeah, like, post-match, they kind of, it's like, you know, made up or whatever and hugged and shook hands. And I guess Taka's officially back in after that ass whooping. I don't know if he's officially in. I, he's officially, I mean, he, he's always been Suzuki Goon, even when he wasn't with the company. They still continue to do angles and stories and just tap out. And although Suzuki guys have continued to work in JTO, especially Suzuki, but uh, you know who knows if he will. You know the the theory right now is that this tournament is a one off for him, and he he will be not with the company once this tournament's over. But uh, I guess it goes in Hawaiian Punch BV also asked said Dick Togo was able to get one of his kind Thai homies his job back. When is Togo bringing back Shofunaki, Kazayashi, and Men's Tail? For the Kai and Tai invasion. <laughs> uh, who knows? Yeah, maybe that Kai and Tai will join the House of Torture. Yeah, um, I doubt it. <laughs> um, along the rest of the card, uh, we'll kind of just go over the results. So Tenkoji got a big uh, win over Tiger Mask and Yuji Nagata. You can figure out who took the pinfall there. Um, obviously, it's Tiger Mask. Uh, G.O.D. picked up a win over Great Bash Heel. Togi Makbe and Tomaki Hanma, 14 minutes. Fifth match of the night, Bad Luck Fale and Chase Owens defeated the United Empire team of Aaron Hanare and Great Okan, 9 minutes, 43 seconds. Uh, you know, United Empire hits a little different when you don't got uh, Jeff Cobb in the mix. <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, um, Fale is back. You know, Fale is going to Fale. He's going to pick up some wins here. So. Yeah, the Actually, uh, grenade launcher. 
actually, if you think about it, with the elevation of Chase as a character, while Folly's gone and then Folly's back and all that, I I don't really completely know who is the full true pin eater on that team. I I bet you it'll be a situation where it's a 50-50 affair. And they're probably more of a middle-of-the-road tag team this time around as opposed to, like, in the past, Chase ate, like, every pin almost. Right. So that's one thing to kind of look out for there. Um, Tanahashi and Toriyanu, they defeated the House Torture, Evil Nijiro with Dick Togo, 12 minutes, 16 seconds. Uh, interesting thing was Tanahashi and Yano sporting matching um, black trench coats and, you know, cool new, like, hairdos. They came out looking like an actual tag team, which was <laughs> unexpected. Yeah, Tanahashi like, right, if, if I'm doing this, we're going all the way. <laughs> yeah. I think, like, he's just really excited for the upcoming Matrix 4. And he was like, you know what would be cool is if we did Matrix. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but they were stunting on those boys. Uh, yeah. Germanis asked, he said, maybe uh, maybe you'd like to think that we're done with KOPW 2021 defenses, but KOPW 2020 was defended at Road to Tokyo Dome against Bad Luck Fale. Oh, shit, he's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he said, I say history repeats itself, and they heat up someone for KOPW defenses like they did last year. My vote is for Togi Makabe because it's a match I don't want to see which makes it prime KOPW <laughs> What say you? Uh, bro, he's right. Yeah, there, there could easily be one more KOPW defense. Uh, I mean, Makabe, sure, why not? Bro, they would have made a big deal about it being the final uh, defense of the year. He's right. absolutely right. They're going to. Yeah. We're dumb. <laughs> and and then um, the main event, LIJ, Sonata, and Tetsuya Naito, they defeated the team of Goto and Yoshihashi, 18 minutes, 12 seconds. I thought this was... The only match that was, aside from the opener, that was worth really mentioning, really good match, considering who was involved here in the matches that they've had against one another earlier this year, it's no surprise. Uh, I wouldn't say it was a notebook match or anything like that. Probably like three and a half, three and three quarters. Yeah, I went three you know, and three quarters. Yeah, that's, that's probably about right. Sub four, I don't see it getting any like tag match of the year nominees, but yeah. uh you know, if you were going to check out anything from this card, this was would probably be the one. Yeah. So then with the standings on top of the block with uh, two points each, we've got Naito and Sonata, Tanahashi and Yano, Saber and Taichi, Kojima and Tenzon, G.O.D., Fale and Owens, and then also the bottom of the block, no wins, United Empire, Great Bash Heel, House of Torture, Chaos, Nagata and Tiger Mask, and Suzuki and Taka Michinoku. At this point, considering their history, considering the amount of tournaments they've won, titles they've won, Tenkoji's leading this pack right now. Yeah. And it, it's their tournament to lose. <laughs> <laughs> um, after that, uh, wait a second, what is this? The upcoming so, upcoming nights for World Tag League. Okay, we're not going to talk about the last night of uh, Super Juniors? Okay, that's we, fine. We are. It's, it's, it's after the Tag League schedule. Okay, gotcha. So this coming Wednesday, November 17th, we've got um, Yuto Nakashima against Oiwa, singles action. Nagata, Tiger Mask against G.O.D. Tenkoji against uh, the cast team of Goto and Yoshihashi. Um, Tanahashi and Yano taking on Great Bash Heel. United Empire taking on the House of Torture. L.I.J. team taking on Suzuki and Taka. Then the main event is going to be the Dangerous Techers against the Bull Club team of following Chase Owens. Following, yeah. fr- oh, go ahead. 
Then we have a uh, night 30 coming up November 19th. Open up with Fujita and Oiwa. Then we'll have Tanahashi and Yano against Nagata and Tiger Mask. Suzuki and Taka versus United Empire. Fall and Owens versus House of Torture. Great Bash Heel versus LIJ. Tenkoji versus Dangerous Techers. And the main event will be Goto and Yoshihashi versus Gorillas of Destiny. Nice. So the last night of Super Juniors, which was uh, November the 15th, so this was yesterday, Fujita and Oiwa wrestled to a 10-minute time limit draw. So I think in addition to the redemption story of Yuto Nakashima, we kind of have a story where none of these guys have beaten one another from this class just yet, and it's kind of a three-way deal. Mm-hmm. So we're sort, of, we're sort of waiting to see which one of these ones steps out from the pack early on. Who's going to be the first young lion from this uh, trio to get, get a big win? So that remains to be seen. Um, the second match of the night, we had Doki uh, defeating Yo 10 minutes and 56 Doki, seconds. Doki, let's is- go. Yeah, I, I noticed you changed your, your nickname in one of our group chats to Big Doki Energy. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Doki, this uh, he's got this bridging, um, uh, like, Tiger Suplex or Full Nelson Suplex. Uh, yeah, Suplex de la Luna. Okay, did he always do that? Yeah, that was always okay. his finisher. See, I never realized that that, like, was his finisher. I thought it was something that he, like, debuted new, like a – like it was a modern, um, you know, wrinkle to his game. But yeah, he's been beating guys with it, which is awesome. And he beat Yo here, who, like you mentioned earlier, Yo's very much focused on show in this tournament. And that is maybe proving to be the case because Doki beat him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Moses underscore Magnum asks that I want to share an unpopular opinion in question form. Am I the only person that thinks Yo is better than show? You are not the only person. Rich Latta, front of the show, One Nation Radio, he's a yo guy. He, he always liked yo over show. But I think both of us were both, we we were both show guys, but. I'm still a show guy. I mean, you know, Shawn Michaels had his, uh, you know, he had his 1992, 1993 phase. I'm not going to hold it against show as he establishes himself because I know eventually, you know, the ladder match with Razor is going to happen. <laughs> Okay, SummerSlam 1995 is going to happen. He's going to have the Jeff Jarrett matches and the one, two, three kid matches and Russell Diesel. Like, it, it, just wait, just wait. He's going to win a Royal Rumble. Okay, okay. Show Michaels <laughs> is still. <laughs> um, third match of the night, Bushi de- defeated Ryuzuki Taguchi, 13 minutes and 59 seconds. Fourth match of the night, Robbie Eagles defeated Master Watos. Master Watto. <laughs> Master Watto, 13 minutes, 30 seconds. This was a rematch of a recent singles match that we saw between these two. Um, and Robbie Eagles defeated Watto on that evening as well. So kind of going back to back in recent um, antiquity here. Fifth match of the night, Kenamar defeated El Fantasmo, 12 minutes and 40 seconds. Now, I've actually watched up to the Eagles-Watto match, so I didn't know Kenamar would beat <laughs> El Fantasmo. What happened there? So, yeah, once again, Kanemaru outsmarted uh, ELP. Um, I'm trying to remember how the finish went down, but essentially it was kind of similar to they, they teased the whole count-out thing, and then I think Kanemaru, like, rolled up ELP. Wow. Semi-main event, Sho defeats Hiromu Takahashi, who is the favorite in this uh, tournament, 17 minutes, 37 seconds. I'm sure this was not a clean win. Yep, House of Torture, bullcrap, uh, bad match. 
And then the main event, Taiji Ishimori, the former champion, defeats the current reigning IWGP junior champion in El Desperado, 22 minutes, 41 seconds. So back-to-back losses for Desperado, back-to-back losses for um, ELP, kind of unexpected in, in my book. Yeah, and I would say the Taiji-Desperado match is probably the match of the night from this night. Um, Taiji worked a lot on the arm of Desperado to set up the, the bone uh, bone lock and get the win there over Despy. And what I'd seen um, from the three matches in the tournament that I saw, everything was fine, good, but nothing really peaked really high. I checked some of the like ratings and reviews, and it seemed like that was pretty much the consensus, that this was a fine show, but nothing really worth going out of your way to check out basically yeah um we did have a couple quick questions here so dom homie 101 said thoughts on the super junior so far who stars shine so far and who needs to step it up i mean it's been fine honestly you know we joked last year this is a fake super juniors we got single block we got clap crowd we got the barricades up it's not super juniors unless those barricades are down so these guys can truly fly that's uh, how I feel. It, exactly. It, it's been fine. It's it's been a very good of Super Juniors. Um Star Riot, Star Shining, obviously Doki. He he's killed it in both his matches. Uh two big wins. His stock is rising. Um as far as he needs to step it up. I mean everybody. <laughs> yeah, that was gonna be my answer. Every single person in this tournament, except for Doki. Yeah, I mean by now we would have multiple four star matches. I have no match that's over four stars or at four stars yet. Let's be clear. Doki's been given the 10 minute opening slot and done pretty good as like as good as anyone could be expected to do in that sort of time frame, in that sort of like placement. And he's kind of on that tiger, old, tiger mask, old man, like miracle run in the beginning, <laughs> which is fun. Yeah. <laughs> but other than that, I mean, uh, the only person who seems to be working really hard is like Taguchi. He seems to be working harder than I'm used to him working at this point in the tournament, but everyone else seems to kind of not. I don't know, man. Everyone else needs to step it up because there hasn't been a single great match in the entire tournament. First night was fun with all the upsets and some of the shenanigans, but if if this is what we're in store for, I mean, this is going to be a second year where I'm – I don't know. We, we actually did have some pretty good Super Junior matches last year, but, man, it's going to be another fake Super Junior. I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah. So our standings, we have Sho, Kanamaru, and Doki atop of the block with four points each. Then going on to the two-point range, we've got Eagles, Taiji, Bushi, Hiromu, Master Wato, and Gucci all of two points in the very bottom of the block. All of zero points, the champion, El Sparado, Yo, and the headbanger, El Fantasmo. Thursday, November 18th is going to be the next night of Super Junior action as we have uh, Yuta Nakashima taking on Kosei Fujita in opening action. El Fantasma will be taking on Doki. Yo will be wrestling Bushi. Taguchi against Sho. Robbie Eagles versus Ishimori. Hiromu versus Kanemaru in the semi-main event. And then the main event will be El Desperado versus Master Wato. November 21st, we have night four of Super Juniors action. Yuta Nakashima will be wrestling Oiwa. And then getting into the tournament, we have Kanemaru versus Doki. Wato versus Ishimori, Taguchi versus Yo, Bushi versus Sho, Eagles versus El Fantasma in the semi-main event. And the main event will be Hiromu Takahashi versus El Desperado. Considering those top two matches, that seems to be one to really pay attention to. That's uh, Sunday, November 21st. Yeah, so we should get some, those two matches, the semi-main main, should be great. 
which we will be recording that Sunday, if you recall. Yes. So we got to watch that, then record, because the holiday is coming up right that same week. Right. So also coming up this weekend, we have the next episode of NJPW Strong as they continue the showdown tour that was in Philadelphia. Uh, show open up, we got Finn Juice versus Yuya Moore and Kevin Knight. The mid-card match will be Leo Rush and Ari Davari against ELP and Chris Bay. And then the main event will be TJP and Clark Connors. You know, they've been building this match for a while, even before TJP was in the United Empire. So it's a continuation of that rivalry. And then obviously added in with this LA Dojo United Empire feud should be a great main event. Then we also had uh, NJPW Extra number three that aired today on YouTube. The match was David Finley defeating Yuyamura. 12 minutes, 18 seconds. This was from the Autumn Attack Tour in Texas. Uh, good little matchup here between those guys. And then uh, they did film a pre-show match at Battle in the Valley that will appear on a future episode of Extra, which will be Chris Bay and Hikaleo facing Kevin Knight and the DKC. Nice. I can't wait to check those out. <laughs> <laughs> we got some news here. Uh NJPW President Takami Obari made a series of announcements prior to today's Best Super Juniors event, Cork and Hall, including a 50th anniversary tour and museum exhibit. Uh, the anniversary tour will hit Sendai on February 11th, 2022, in Osaka on February 13th, two nights in Hokkaido, February 19th and 20th, and then two nights in the Nippon Budokan, March 1st and March 2nd. Uh, there's going to be an exhibit called NJPWism. It's going to run from the 11th to the 27th at the Tokyo Dome Gallery in Amo. Features are going to have different artifacts and items from NJPW history, some of them you know, fo- focusing on different wrestlers that have been around. There's going to be an exhibit with Andre the Giant, different stuff like that. Um, they also announced that the January tour will be called New Year's Golden Series, a throwback to a tour name used throughout the 1970s and 1980s. I can attest to that. Watch many a Golden Series match. Um, additionally, NJP, and I guess that means we're not getting a Fantastic Mania. Yeah. Um, <laughs> additionally, NJPW will be partnering with 50 different manufacturers to produce new merchandise, with the first presented examples being gaming chairs produced by Cont Leaks and golf bags made by Mind. Uh, we had a couple questions here. Viking Paint said, New Japan's 50th anniversary, it seems like some big things they plan on doing are pretty ambitious, especially the talk of dream cards, dream events. What's one thing that the company hasn't done before or in a long time that you two would like to see them do for their 50th anniversary year? I think for me, it's something we've talked about in the past. I think, you know, opening the um, domestic forbidden door, you know, getting some guys from who knows, like all Japan or Noah and doing some interpromotional matches with companies in Japan. Chaco Pro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lulu, open the Lulu pencil door, okay? <laughs> I want to see Antonio Honda wrestle. Is that his name? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I'm pretty much the same. I don't know. There's, I, I can't think of too many things that they've done in the past that they're not doing now that I'd like for them to do, but I would like to see some sort of interaction with other outside pro companies. I think that'd be cool. Dom Homie 101 asked, with talks of dream matches being a huge part of the 50th anniversary celebration, what are some dream matches that you guys would like to see take place in the NJPW ring? My picks would be Okada versus Danielson, Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Kento Miyahara, Shingo versus Hangman Page, the Golden Lovers versus the Mega Aces, and Punk Bryan versus the Mega Aces. I don't know if people know, but the uh, official tag team name of Punk Bryan is the Indie Powers. Just right. want everyone to know that. 
yeah, I mean, he looks like some great uh, dream match scenarios right there. I mean, I think um, Okada and Kento Miyahara uh, would be another one that could happen. Um, I know Shingo, I know Shingo and Brian have wrestled in the past, but I think a Shingo Brian match and today would be even better than in the past. Um, I don't know what to expect as far as dream matches go. I hope we get some, but the idea that they're going to have an ambitious 50th anniversary tour in the early part of the year with big venues and big events and stuff like that. I mean, I don't know, man. I, I told Jeremy off the air, like some of the announcements for the 50th anniversary kind of remind me of like when a couple are not doing so hot and one partner's thinking of leaving the other and the other person's like grasping at straws and they start making all these promises to keep the other person around, but like they can't deliver on those promises and then they don't have much to offer. So they're, they, they start making like, I'll wash the dishes and I'll, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, I don't know. I'll, I'll take you to that diner. You always want to go to like, because they don't have anything like really to offer. That's kind of what some of this sounds like. It's like, we're going to do an exhibit and gaming chairs. It's <laughs> 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 so like, can you guys just, can you guys just open up, like, can you just, like, let people cheer and then, like, go back to the old schedule and maybe, like, have some banger cards? Like, that's all I want. Maybe uh, get rid of Dick Togo and Evil and KLPW. Yeah, maybe that would be that start. <laughs> Talking about dream matches, we got KOPW still around, like, the fuck? <laughs> NJPW has announced their final 2021 strong tapings. NJPW Strong Nemesis will be taped on Thursday, November. Uh, December the 9th at Vermont Hollywood in LA, California. Tickets for the event will go on sale Tuesday, November 16th at 1 p.m. Eastern. They have announced that the fallen angel, Christopher Daniels, has been announced for those tapings. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, it's cool. Juice... Oh, good. No, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, Curry Man. <laughs> Juice Rob. Yeah, I put out a picture and I was like, uh, it's a picture of Danielson and Curry Man. I was like, they, they called the wrong one. <laughs> yeah, he's hot. He's spicy. He tastes great. Juice Robinson noted in an interview with Denise Salcedo that his contract here expires in February. Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> Bloodsport 7 matches are available on NJPW World, as noted earlier. NJPW's Jeff Cobb and TJP have been announced for the Friday, November 19th CMLL show at Arena Mexico in Mexico City. They'll be taking on the team of Volador Jr. and Atlantis Jr., uh, and Rev Pro News, next Saturday afternoon in Huntington, we'll have matchups featuring Yoda Suji against Doug Williams, Alex Coughlin against TK Cooper, and Chuck Mambo versus Carl Frederick. So some, um, you know, matches abroad for some of these young Lions, some of these LA Dojo guys. Uh, Rev Pro Sunday, November 21st in uh, your call. We also have the undisputed British Heavyweight Championship as it will be defended and challenged for by Shota Umino. He takes on Will Ospreay in a match where he says he'll take back the physical IWGP uh, championship belt for New Japan Pro Wrestling. Also, Gideon Gray will be wrestling Yota Suji. If Gideon wins, Yota Suji must join the Legion. If Suji wins, the Legion is finished. So those are some high stakes. <laughs> yeah, so it's interesting, you know, seeing Yota Suji get mixed up. Big storyline here. And so, yeah, these young lines are doing some great stuff on Excursion. Well, you know, I don't follow Repro like that, but I know Gideon Gray, and I know the Legion is the the group that Okan came out of. So, I mean, if Suji gets mixed up with those guys, no telling what might happen. <laughs> you can have this man hopping around like a <laughs> like a vampire. The great Suji. <laughs> 
Tatsumi Fujinami's Cork and Hall version of his 50th anniversary took place on November, or, uh, yes, November the 9th, before a sell crowd of 715 fans. Fujinami teamed with Satoshi Kojima and Hiroshi Tenzan to beat the Great Muda and Hakushi. Jinzei Shinzaki doing his 90s WWF gimmick and Kazuma Sakamoto. The idea is it was New Japan guys against American gimmicks as Sakamoto was in WWE for a short period of time as the manager of Tenzai, Matt Bloom. The finish came at 17 minutes, two seconds when Kojima pinned Sakamoto after a lariat, which I did know about this match because we've been working on our excursion match of the year candidates, which happy to say we have our 10 candidates for excursion match of the year and they are all bangers. Yeah, it's a fire list. Yeah, it really is, and it's not all AEW either. Yeah. Um, so that's going to take us to the questions, and then the mat, uh, recommend match of the week. We can get out of here. Yeah, Hawaiian Punch BB asked, you check out Max Holloway versus Uriah Rodriguez this past weekend, Wild Fight? I did not get a chance to watch that fight, but I saw Yair uh, Rodriguez's foot afterwards, and uh, I do plan to watch that fight. I heard great things about it. Thoughts on Terrence Crawford versus Sean Porter. I think this is Crawford's best opponent so far. Porter is a tricky fighter for everyone in the welterweight division. Um, I I don't know. Kell Brook was a really good opponent. So I, they're different styles, so it's hard to say. But Kell Brook's really, really, really good. Um, so I don't know if I totally agree with that. But, you know, Sean Porter's that guy that he's a bad night for anybody that fights him on ever, period. Like, <laughs> so... I don't care who it – like, I, I've got friends who think Terrence Crawford's going to, you know, shut out Sean Porter. That's I just don't see it happening. I think Sean Porter is bad. He's a bad night for pretty much anyone that's not Floyd Mayweather. And at this point, he'd probably be a nightmare for Floyd. <laughs> so um, – but he also is a guy that is beatable. All those guys who are in the top Thurman and, you know, what have you, they've all beat Sean Porter. So I think Terrence Crawford beats – Sean Porter, but he's a really tricky fighter, really tough guy. Swarmer, you have to go through hell and back to beat him, and it's going to be a huge test. I think Terrence Crawford does beat him probably by two to three rounds. I don't see him stopping him. I don't see him shutting him out. Like, you know, it's a tough fight for Terrence Crawford. It always is when it's Sean Porter. Uh, next from Dom Homie 101, non New Japan question. What's the virus series taking place this Sunday? What are some of your guys' favorite matches that took place as a virus series? Thoughts on the overall event as a whole? It's a tough question. I don't know. Uh, I can name you a few Survivor Series matches themselves that I like, mm-hmm. but I don't know if I can think of a Survivor Series match that, like, I don't know. Uh, maybe I'm, Brett Brett and Austin from Madison Square Garden. I love the the first Elimination Chamber where Sean won the title. Oh. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I do too. I love that match. Um, I don't know. The, some of the Survivor Series matches I like, Team WCW versus Team WWF. Um, that one where it was Team Bischoff versus Team Austin, and if Austin lost, he had to retire. Yeah. yeah. And, and that one's really good. Uh, I don't know, man. Survivor Series isn't like a, a show that I care that much about. Or I can't remember much from it i don't have like a catalog of it the way i do with like summer slams royal rumbles and right i mean it's usually not not a lot of memorable matches especially the last 10 years or so it's all been about brand supremacy pal and you know guys fighting over red and blue shirts and so well 
you know that the AJ and the Brian Danielson matches against uh, Brock Brock Lesnar are both really good. Yeah. Uh, so but I, I don't know. That's about it. <laughs> is it time for some fight talk? And it's fight week with a fight that have that has fight of the year potential. Uh, any thoughts on the upcoming welterweight showdown that will place between Terrence Burkhoffer and Showtime Sean Porter for the WBO welterweight championship? In my opinion, this is going to be a hell of a fight. I know both of you guys are going for the knockout, but I'm going with Bud Crawford for the win in a tough split decision. Um, oh, my God. I'm so dumb. I was saying earlier that Terrence Crawford fought. You know, I did something like this the other week, too. I said that uh, Canelo was fighting for the middleweight title. And for some reason, I always forget that he's not 160. He's 168 now. And just now, I was talking about Terrence Crawford like he was Errol Spence Jr. (laughs) (laughs) Terrence Crawford's never fought Kell Brook. I don't know what the fuck I was talking about. Um, Oh, wait. Yes, he did. He He knocked him out in the fourth round in his last fight. Okay. I stand corrected. But I will say this. The Kell Brook that Terrence Crawford beat is not the same Kell Brook that Errol Spence Jr. beat. Uh, taking nothing away from him, but it's it's not the same thing. Um, I don't know if I think this fight has fight of the year written all over it, but looking through Terrence Crawford's um, list of opponents, I mean, his toughest opponent probably, like probably prior to this was Gamboa, and that was at you know 135. You know, that was a long time ago. We're at 147 now. And I I don't see anybody that really has posed a serious, serious threat. So, yeah, Sean Porter is Terrence Crawford's uh, toughest fight. I still think Terrence Crawford beats him. Mm. You know, stylistically, I think Terrence Crawford might actually match up better with Sean Porter than – than Errol Spence would. So yeah, I think he could actually maybe stop Sean Porter, but I'm I'm gonna predict Sean Porter uh loses a split or majority decision to Terrence Crawford, twelve rounds. Nice. Well last thing here, recommended match of the week. Last week you recommended October 9, two thousand, Kensei Sasaki versus Toshiaki Kawada. And man, this match was a freaking banger. These guys were chopping the crap out of each other. Lariats. Uh, you know, of course, Kawada hitting that dangerous backdrop yeah. suplex. which was, He dropped that man right on he his really head. He really did. Freaking head killed him. Also, he had the- oh, oh, before before you continue, did you see um, freaking Yoshihashi get dropped on his head by uh, yes, Naito? Yes, by Naito with the, the snowplow, yeah. Bro, that Northern Lights bomb, he – I mean, he didn't take anything off of it. I, I'm surprised. I don't know how that man's not, like, dead or injured. Well, I mean, we don't know if he's injured or not. Well, I guess we'll find out, but – I'm talking, like, serious, like, you know, serious injured, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like, he – because he landed on his head the full way. Like, that was scary. Yeah. Anyways, go continue. <laughs> but, yeah, very hard-hitting. Of course, we've got the, the Kawada kits. It's a really great back and forth, and the crowd was so into this match, and – uh, Kawada, man, obviously, I, I don't have much experience with Kawada, so I'm, when I'm seeing Russell, I'm seeing like Shingo and, and Tai Chi, and obviously, I know Tai Chi trained with him and stuff like that, but just as, and kind of some Ishii too, kind of this plucky underdog is continuing to fight and fight, and he works for that, those insecurities, and I, I love when guys lariat insecurities away, 
and, and Kawhi did that several times here until um until Kawhi could finally get the the the, the on on Kensei Saki and get the big win here. Yeah, this match just freaking rules. And then, you know, the whole thing was Kensuke Sasaki went into the match as the IWGB champion. It was a non-title match, but it was essentially the ace of New Japan and Sasuke at the time taking on the last remaining star of All Japan right after the rest of the company went to Noah. But, you know, Kawada was a for- you know, is a former triple crown champion he's one of the big four pillars he's pro- at this point probably the quote-unquote ace of all japan it's a dream match no one thought they could ever see and you know the tokyo dome is just rocking i mean rocking there it's a awesome crowd and then kawada beats him which i don't think a lot of people thought he would beat him because it's new japan they're the bigger company and right you know if this was wwf they would have <laughs> had hulk hogan beat rick flair but uh on this night, Sasuke loses, and then that kind of starts a redemption story where, like, I don't know if you saw at the end, he doesn't even want the title. He's, like, trying to right. give the title away to Kawada. Yeah. He ends up vacating the belt, and then they end up fighting each other in a tournament final later on in the rematch, later, like, just a month or two later. So maybe we'll watch that match because uh, that one's also up there as well. Nice. Yeah, definitely. I'm definitely going to watch another match with these guys. So then my pick for recommended match of the week, we're going back to 1994, January 4th, Jushin Thunder Liger versus my man, Koji Kanemoto. I've seen so many Liger-Kanemoto matches. Um, I know this one's got to be substantial because it's from the Tokyo Dome on January 4th, but I don't know if I recall this specific one. I think when I look, this was probably one of their highest rated matches that they've had together um, that has ratings for it. So, Okay. Definitely, um, definitely excited to check it out. Maybe that will give me a little bit of a refresher, but they've wrestled a lot. So, <laughs> Yeah, when I was looking on World, there's a ton of Liger and uh, Kenemoto matches from over the years. Awesome. Well, that's going to wrap things up. Next week, we'll be back to review more best of the Super Junior and World Tag League action. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com. Slash donate. Click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at Style. The network is at Social Suplex. I am at Jeremy L. Donovan. On Facebook, we are Facebook.com slash Social Suplex. On the Wrestling Square Circle Facebook group, we're facebook.com slash group slash wrestling square circle. On Instagram, I'm at social suplex. You can follow us on Reddit. I am the Pro Black Guy, just keeping a strong style. You can email me, Jeremy at suplex.com. Check out all the other shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network, One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Ladder and James Boy, The Grave Consequences Podcast with Caleb and Maserati, All Things Elite with Floyd and Austin, and the AEW Match Guide Podcast, hosted by Sir Sam. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review, and we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. We itchy, Ben. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.